It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, April 28, 2009. And I've got a guest in studio with me today. From the 15th most listened to program here at Pirate Christian Radio. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I've lost track of how many shows we really have on there. But yeah, <laughs> whatever the number is, yeah, we're at. Yeah, <laughs> we're at the bottom. That's right. I've got Evan Gagline, co-host of uh, Table Talk Radio and Table Scraps here on Pirate Christian Radio, in studio with me. All right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Thanks for sticking with us here on Pirate Christian Radio. Uh, we've got a great program lined up today. This is uh, the program. Uh, that uh, your pastor may have warned you about. <laughs> I have to warn you because I've received many an email over the course of this program from people who've said, man, every time I listen to your program, I get more dissatisfied with my pastor. Well, why would you become dissatisfied with your pastor listening to this program? Well, because we take what people say in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of God, in the name of the Bible, and compare it to the Bible. We believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And uh, there's a lot of people out there that are playing fast and loose with the scriptures. It doesn't matter if they're sincere about it or not. They could be sincerely wrong. So uh, we we do discernment here. We dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which is to get you to think biblically, to get you to think critically and compare what people say to the word of God. And I am not exempt from this little exercise, which means if you don't like what I'm saying, you disagree with me, get out your Bible and start showing from Scripture that Rosebro contradicts the Word of God. Now, am I exempt from this little rule? Well, you're a seminarian, right? Oh, yeah, so I'm go- <laughs> golden. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> oh, man. See, I'm not used to this experience of actually having listeners. On, on my pre- program, Table Talk Radio, we, we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, this is free advertising for you, man. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, the reason we got Evan Gagline in studio today is because uh, Evan invited me on a field trip. Uh, that uh, he had set up with some of his uh, fellow seminarians from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. And since I now live in Windiana, <laughs> that's right, yeah, man, uh, I was able to make the trip up to Fort Wayne, and then we made the trip all the way over to Granger Community Church. And um, and we were able to get a uh, – I scored us a, a, a tour of the facilities and everything like that. And so today we're on Fighting for the Faith, we're going to be debriefing – on our trip to Granger Community Church. And I know that some of you tuning in today are tuning in specifically to listen to this edition, what it is that these guys are going to say. And uh, so what I would recommend doing, go and grab yourself a beverage, find a seat, make yourself comfortable, grab your Bible. It's, it's, we're going to take our time and walk through this and just play along. It'll be all kinds of fun. Right? Yep. Grab a notepad, take some notes. That's right. Ready to go. <laughs> and we promise not to be too nerdy. Oh. You didn't tell me that before I came. Oh, I should have asked Correct. Wolf Mueller on instead. <laughs> I can call him right now. <laughs> no, no, no. We, he's busy. Yeah. So the entire program today is dedicated to our Granger Community Church debrief. And before we do that, we've got to do a little bit of groundwork. Okay. Um, and uh, so we're going to start off with I, I put a piece up at extremetheology.com today. And uh, which I think kind of sets the tone for what we're talking about. One of the things that um, occupational hazard for doing any type of discernment work is that you, it's easy to be misconstrued. Okay, 
because uh, the, the there's this thing in the church that exists where people go, doesn't the Bible say judge not lest you be judged? <laughs> Wait a second. Didn't you just judge me for judging you about judging? <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Only, I see the bumper sticker, only God can judge me. <laughs> well, and I say to them, don't worry, he will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but uh, so what happens is, is that a lot of people, they misconstrue discernment ministry as people basically complaining about the fact that uh, these newfangled churches are using guitars. You see, that's because guitars could, could lead to dancing, and dancing is from the <laughs> devil, you know? <laughs> right, right. That's not what we're, that's not what discernment's about. And so I've got a piece up at extremetheology.com today, and the name of it is Discernment is About Warning People that they're going the wrong way. Now, it doesn't matter how sincere you are. It's really about, well, you're going the wrong way. So uh, because I engage in discernment, I have a deep conviction. And the reason I do it is because I am convinced that many, many pastors are heading the wrong way. For the most part, I don't get bent out of shape about methods or styles. Now, there's some things that I do get meth- uh, torqued about. And it, what I do is I put those at the Museum of Idolatry just because they're absurd. You know, so I, get them I, in the museum. You have to worry about that's them right. in this program. Yeah, okay. that's right. You know, if I can encase them in, in, in their own exhibit <laughs> in the museum. <laughs> you know, which, by the way, we're up to 950 exhibits in the museum. We, we just passed 2 million visits on the website this week. That's quite, a, uh, quite yeah. an amount of visitors. Yeah, so <laughs> anyway... Uh, so for me, the real issue is the substance of the gospel or the doctrine or lack thereof being preached from today's pulpits. Uh, what always amazes me is that many people misinterpret the biblical t- critiques and warnings that I'm offering as nothing more than criticizing churches for not subscribing to the same methods and styles that I personally prefer. Nothing could actually be further from the truth. I believe that the biblical gospel allows for freedom and latitude when it comes to methods and styles. However, the biblical gospel does not offer freedom and latitude when it comes to the substance of the message that's to be delivered. So those who scratch their heads and cannot understand why I would take so much time correcting and rebuking and warning against false teaching or doctrine are just like John Candy and Steve Martin in the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I love that movie. It's a great movie. I love it. That one, I just, I remember seeing that in the theaters. You probably weren't even born yet, were you? (laughs) (laughs) You I'm old. (laughs) Anyway. um, They had theaters back then? Oh, oh, yeah. Listen, right after the flood. Okay. Okay. At one point in the story, John Candy inadvertently drives onto a highway going the wrong way. He's on the, he's literally going against traffic. And um, there's a couple in another vehicle that correctly discern the problem, and they're doing everything they can to warn John Candy and Steve Martin of their pending doom because coming down the highway is like two big semi-trucks. And so the truth that uh, Candy and Martin had to come to grips with in order to repent change direction the metaphor works right? wonderful yeah wonderful. yeah <clears throat> is that uh, is the one thing that they refused to believe was even possible and that truth was the fact that they were heading the wrong way so rather than listening to those who had correctly discerned the danger that they were in and were warning them candy and martin thought that their critics were crazy or drunk or wanted to race or something stupid the metaphor is still working here <laughs> Now, I haven't, I haven't been accused of being drunk yet. <laughs> oh, man. That you brought that one upon yourself, though. Right. You know, because I party with Paris Hilton all the time. By the way, she never did come on my show. Really? Yeah. I, I thought. See, I thought she was going to be here when I got here. That's the only reason I came. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. 
Well, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I sent the wrong email to you. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to play a segment from the audio from the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Again, the whole point is because I think this illustrates kind of the problem that's going on in discernment and, uh, and the misconception that people have. So here's uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, he's drunk. Oh, wait. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Technical problems. Got to reload. Oh, well, you know, the video player was acting, acting up. Here we go. Now, for those of you who can't see the video because you're listening on radio, that would be everybody. <laughs> uh, it's, what you're hearing is uh, it's John Candy's at the wheel of this really weird car that has, like, uh, it's green in color with the, wed, uh, 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 pa- the wood paneling on the side. Uh, this was the only vehicle they were able to get. That was part of the humor of the movie. And they've, he's just spun out, and now he's getting back on the freeway going the wrong way. comes the semi-trucks are showing it on the video now you can watch this at extremetheology.com here they come so the drama is set up they're heading one way the trucks are coming at them the other way and there's two trucks one in one lane the other in the two-lane highway i had a similar experience on the way down here really <laughs> congratulations <laughs> we continue now here comes the couple they they're spotting the car going the wrong way side of the highway. He's going to kill somebody. Come on. Hey! Hey! Hey, what's going on? Some joker wants to race. Race? That's ridiculous. All right, come on. Let's go. Let's go. So he thinks they want to race. <laughs> Again, he's he's misinterpreted the the behavior of the discernment people here as something other than what it is that they're really trying to do. Put your window down. You want something? Uh, he's probably drunk. You're going the wrong way. What? You're going the wrong way. He says we're going the wrong way. Oh, he's drunk. How would he know where we're going? <laughs> I love that line. He's drunk. How would he know where we're going? <laughs> oh, okay, we continue. <laughs> yeah, how would he know? Yeah. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Terrific. Thank you. What a moron. They're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, John Candy's acting like, you know, they're drinking, you know, and they're they're completely (laughs) drunk. You're going to kill somebody! So there you got the discernment people begging with him, you're going to kill somebody, you're going the wrong way. Please. Please listen to us. Uh, Steve Martin is realizing maybe something is wrong here. Too late. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, partway through, John Candy turns into the devil. <laughs> so there you have it. 
Yeah. So uh, that's that's the segment from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles that I that I think really reflects one of the problems. You know, one of the dangers of doing discernment anyway is that a lot of people misconstrue. But let me continue. See, the problem with the majority of seeker-driven churches is not that they send out marketing materials, you know, postcards to people or whatever. It's not that their worship utilizes a rock band style, or that the pastor wears cool, trendy clothing. Okay. Uh, the Bible doesn't dictate any of that, by the way. The problem is that when you analyze the content of their sermons, as I do here day after day on Fighting for the Faith, you find that they've compromised the message of the gospel. They twist God's word in an effort to craft messages that so-called seekers would find useful. Okay, Now, today... This isn't. We're not going to complain about some of the things that we that some others would complain about the service that we had at Granger. Instead, we're going to really try to focus in on the content of what it is that we heard, and we want to deconstruct and debrief on our entire experience there at Granger Community Church. Now, before we do that, though, one more thing that is just as far as preparation. So. Um, and Evan and I are in the car going, you're going the wrong way. (laughs) Okay. That's our role. Hello. You're going to kill somebody. Um, you know, that's really our role right now. And hopefully that some people will realize before it's too late. Well, maybe it is Maybe they have a point to what they're saying. Now, Evan, you there at, uh, Concordia Fort Wayne seminary. Um, I'm hoping that since you've been there for what two years now, yep, two years. Yep. Now you're going on your vicarage next year. Next year vicarage. Yep. Now uh, we're uh, they're sending you to purgatory where? <laughs> Oklahoma, actually. Oh, purgatory, Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to Norman, Oklahoma. Okay. And uh, I'm involved with a church there that does uh, campus ministry for Oklahoma University. Ah, oh, got it. Okay. So, well, yeah. that'll be fun. Yeah, we're looking ex- looking forward to it very much. Right. Now, see, you can find a woman there who's trying to get her MRS you degree. Know, everybody, everybody says that. <laughs> I'm actually. Surprised, you know, after after the vicarage assignment service, you open up your packet and you get all the information about the vicarage. Right. I'm actually surprised it didn't say something about that in the paperwork. About the MRS every, degree. Everyone I've talked to says that exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Okay. Anyway, so at Concordia Fort Wayne, I'm hoping that they've taught you from Scripture. There's a proper distinction between law and gospel. It's true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and in the we we read about this in in CFW's. Um, Walters, or yeah, CFW Walters, Law and Gospel. Uh-huh. But really, it, it, it's in the scriptures we find two major teachings in, in Holy Scripture. Right. Uh, we find that, that there is the teaching of the law. And it, there's so many ways to put this, but maybe the simplest way to put this is, is what we are to do and what we are to not do. Okay. And, and that's a simple way to put it. But yeah, look how it plays itself out. Um, not only do we sin by by uh, what we do and what we don't do, but how we think and what we say. Right. And so even it, there, there are times that, that God would expect us to think something that we don't. Those are sins of omission, mm-hmm. that, that we're still falling short of the, of the law of God. So, that, so the whole purpose of the law is to show us that we fall short of God's expectation for us. Okay, so the, so the primary purpose of the law, we find this in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, right. is to show us our sin. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Can the law save you? No, no, no. The opposite, actually. Okay. The, the, the law kills us. I mean, it shows us that, that we are not living up to the expectation that God wants us to live. Okay. And so in no way can we ever live up to the expectation. Okay. So if we can't live up to the expectation, which we can't, right? then it, it can't save us. Okay. So, um, well, then if it can't save us, then why preach God's law? 
Well, well, because we preach the gospel that that Christ has fulfilled that perfect law that we can't, mm-hmm. He has fulfilled it in His perfect life and death and resurrection. Okay, and so that that life that we can't live, we that we you know are are told in in God's law that we shouldn't uh, that we shouldn't lust or that we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus came and lived a perfect life, did, did none of those things. Okay, and and so the the glory of the cross is is what we call the great exchange mm-hmm. that. In Christ's perfect life and death, his perfect life is then bestowed to us. Okay. And our sinful lives are then bestowed to him on the cross. Okay. So it, kind of a, a double imputation, if you would. Right. Our sins are imputed to him. His righteousness is imputed to us by faith. Exactly. Now, the, from a, just from a – when people hear about law and gospel, they think this is somehow a distinctly Lutheran uh, teaching. It's actually not. It's not only found in Lutheran theology, it's the reform, uh, uh, Reformed guys follow a similar understanding of Scripture, and you see it even in the writings of the, of the Church Fathers. But a lot of people, when they hear the, 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 when, that we need to preach the law and gospel correctly, they somehow think that, that we're putting some kind of a weird formula together where 50% of it has to be law and 50% of it gospel. Uh, is that what they're teaching you how to preach there? You know, fit, oh. you know, does, does the pastor, sit, you know, the the professor, sit there and go, "Oh, I'm very uh, sorry, you had fifty three percent law and only forty seven percent gospel. You are failing." No, no, no. Uh, but I mean, wh- what we what we do is we we preach God's word, mm-hmm. and God's word strikes us either as law or gospel, right? And, and so it's not you know this this balance that we have to fill a quota of law and then switch okay now it's time for a quota of gospel right we preach and the, and the god's law does what it does okay it, it kills it 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 shows one of the uses of the law is is described as a mirror mm-hmm. that we look in the mirror and it, probably a similar experience to what you have in the morning, uh, Chris, when you look mm-hmm. in the mirror. Yeah. You, you're like, oh man! Ah. Stop <laughs> reminding me of that. I've been trying to avoid that, and I've been in therapy over the last few times I've looked in the mirror. Yeah. So when we think when we think that we're we're doing a good job or pulling off, uh-huh. you know, the, the life that we're supposed to be living, we look in the mirror of God's law. And we see who we really are according to what God expects of us. Okay. And that's a, a frightful scene. Oh, and it's supposed to be frightening? Yes. Okay. Yes, because because we don't live up to those expectations. So okay. when we think we're pulling it off, we're, we read, we hear God's law and it reminds us of it. And we're reminded we are, we are sinners. Mm-hmm. But uh, the good news of the gospel is that that punishment that we, we, that we deserve because of, of being sinners is given to uh, to Christ on the cross. Okay. And so that's good news for us because then we receive uh, uh, the, the righteousness of Christ. Well, let, react with this idea. One of, a lot of the people that I talk to who are evangelicals, okay, and coming out of evangelicals, I used to think this way myself, is that, listen, it's unbelievers who need to hear the gospel. Okay, they need to hear that Jesus died for their sins, and and uh, and then they need to make a decision for Jesus. But once you make a decision for Jesus, um, then you don't really need to hear the gospel anymore. It's really not relevant to you as a believer because you already know that. What you need to instead do is is you need to be told how to live the gospel. Right, and so you have this concept of like a, a two-step Christianity that the first step is is you know becoming a Christian. The second step is then... Uh, living as um, get, becoming a better person, a more moral person, a more kind of, a more Christ-like, right? Like, yeah, you know, every day in every way, I'm getting better and better and more like Jesus. Well, see, the the, the thing is, um, we learn from the scriptures that if if we break one of the commandments, mm-hmm. we've broken them all, right? And so it's not like there's this degree of of sinner that. Uh, well, 
I'm less of a sinner than I was yesterday. I'm not sinning quite as much as I was. Yeah, if I compare myself to Charles Manson, <laughs> I might be doing better. Right. I mean, if you if you broke the the smallest of the commandments, even even Christians, right? If Christians even uh, for a moment ha- have broken the commandments in thought, word, or deed, then they've broken all the law. They're they're just as bad as the worst sinner on earth. Okay. And so if that if that's true, and it is, <laughs> because. Yeah, James in, says in it. Flesh, yeah, right. In the flesh, we all all break uh, the law. Then we need the only answer for that sin. So even Christians need to hear the gospel. Absolutely. Okay. Now I, I bring that up because that might people might think that's a methodology issue. I don't think that's a methodology issue. I think that's a Christian correct Christian doctrine issue. Right. Um, I don't believe the scriptures teach that we're just we're sanctified by the law. Okay, right. Paul in Galatians really rips into the Galatian church and says, having started by in the spirit, are you now trying to be perfected in the flesh? And, you know, and where they biffed it on in, in their understanding of the gospel was that they had added works to sanctify, you know, to sanctification. You know, right, you know, right. they, you know they, they were being sanctified by their works and the things that they were doing, and that was undermining justification. So the entire Christian life is really one that's lived under the cross, and Christians need to hear of the forgiveness of sins as well as non-believers, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not a nut here. Um, well, okay, I might be a nut, but <laughs> not on that. Not on that. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So now, one other thing is is that uh, Granger Community Church, because they purposely um, they're really designed to uh, – their mission statement has to do with helping people take next steps in Jesus. They're purposely um, uh, have set themselves up in an evangelistic posture, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. So, um, so that even their, um, their building, even you know, the, the way they do their service is designed specifically – and this, I'm going to go. I'm going to talk about what Mark Waltz said. By the way, did I correctly? I don't think I've even correctly thanked Mark. I, again, the the hospitality there at Granger was amazing. Mark Waltz was our tour guide there, and he's uh, the connections pastor there at Granger Community Church. Absolutely, just a stellar, upstanding, nice guy. Absolutely, and, and yeah. you know, I, they, they practically rolled out the red carpet for us. They really did, and they don't—they don't have to. No, <laughs> no, they, they didn't have to do that. First of all, you guys are geeky seminarians, but on top of it, I mean, <laughs> I'm one of their harshest critics. You know, and 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 rather than taking a defensive posture with us, they rolled out the red carpet and were just the, the nicest people. And Mark Waltz cannot say enough good about him. And that, that's a, a big thing to do. I mean, honestly, I mean, right. if, if you can imagine your church being criticized um, all the time, and then to to inv- you know, allow your your critics to come in. I mean, that that is a big thing for the church to do. So, right. Thank you. Now, I'm of the opinion that you know, it, it, churches like Granger and critics like me need to talk together. Yes. We we, we need to actually have FaceTime. And uh, the, the reason why is because even though people talk about the fact that uh, the churches are like many, you know, their faith communities, the reality is, is that whatever happens in one area of the body of Christ affects us all. So what's happening in the seeker sensitive movement affects us Lutherans. We can't hide in our mighty fortress and just expect it to blow over. You know, and so right. and so what you know, the really I, I really liked the fact that we were able to have a good dialogue with him and that even on his blog today, he blogged about the experience and, and left the comments open so that people can have a dialogue about what happened. That's, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's like, you know, when you're driving down the freeway and you see a couple of your brothers in a car going the wrong direction. Right. You want to take the time. You don't want to say, oh, they're going to get it. You know, you <laughs> want to take the time to say, wait a minute, you're going the wrong way. Right. Yeah. I, we, and, and there's no point in, ha- you know, saying something like, you know, he's a boogerhead and his mom dresses and funny. <laughs> 
Actually, he dresses really sharp. Yeah, he does. Dude. I, I, you didn't see this, but I actually got some fashion tips from him after you guys No, you here. did not. <laughs> no, I, I wish I could have. He had the coolest set of glasses I had yeah, ever really seen. Those, man, I mean, if the, if he wasn't so skinny, I would have taken him outside and beat him up and taken his clothes. I mean, those were hot. <laughs> Anyway, so I just want to make I want to reiterate the fact again, just the nicest guys at, at Granger, and Granger is one of the churches um, that they're part of my regular research. I, in fact, I listen to their sermons every single week, and I have been doing that for almost a year now. And so, you know, and why do I do that with Granger? Well, because Granger is literally the sixth most influential church in the United States. And there's a lot of people who look to Granger that purchase uh, their their sermon um, products, so to speak, online. Uh, and so Granger has a lot of influence. It's not just a standalone church. What what they do, a lot of other churches will end up doing. Just give them a couple weeks or a month or a year, they'll do the same thing that Granger's done because um, they 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 present themselves as a model for how to do it. And a lot of people look to them, you know, as a result of that. Um, so anyway, um, we talked about going the wrong way. We talked about, okay, the, talking about the way their building is set up. Okay. Uh, Mark and his, uh, he gave us the grand tour of the building and he did it, you know, rather quickly. But I couldn't believe. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I mean, I was on information overload. But what's interesting is that Granger has purposely, as part of their, um, as part of their philosophy of ministry, the big thing they keep talking about is that people matter to God. And so the reason why they have this really good coffee bar, and it, I mean, I, I, I'd have vanilla latte, that was, and it was just as good as Starbucks. Um, the reason why they have a, a, a coffee bar in a place where, you know, that it's like a Starbucks atmosphere when you walk in is because people matter to God. The reason why they start their service off with performance arts and do, they do cover songs from secular bands is because... Uh, the, the, it helps the unbeliever, the unchurched person, uh, feel uh, less threatened and more comfortable. And no, I, I know what this is all about. And why do they do that? Well, because people matter to God, right? And um, and th- their their volunteer program. I mean, they've got an army of volunteers there. Yeah, they do. I mean, and and everybody's on cue. They have a pre you know a, a pre show meeting. They have a post. Uh, sermon uh, debriefing uh, everything they do. I mean, what I saw, it, it, and I was looking at this from my MBA training. I have a, a master's degree in business administration from Pepperdine University. What I saw is that they have created an intersection between best business practices out there as it pertains to creating and generating what are called customer experiences, um, and the church. They've they've put a cross section between the two. Probably unlike any church that I've seen. Now, the funny thing is, is uh, Mark, if you're listening, don't listen to what I'm about to say because I don't want you to get a big head. Um, but um, uh, I think they do it better than Saddleback, and I've been to both facilities. And I think they, I think that uh, Granger is is a step above as far as the quality of what they're doing, even better than Saddleback, as far as that really creating the uh, the customer experience, so to speak. And so, um, and their overarching philosophy for this is because. People matter to God. They want. They don't want people to be threatened. They want them to feel like this is a safe place to come to, to a safe place for them to explore the Christian faith. And they've done a fantastic job on that end of it. In fact, just from you know an execution prop uh, intersection, everything, all this stuff. I mean, they get they get an A plus. I put them in the same category as I would put Disney. I've worked for Disney, Walmart, 3M. Uh, just some of the top companies, corporations in the country, I put them in that category as far as their execution on this type of thing. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, you could, uh, our, our visit, our little tour there is kind of a microcosm of that. Because, I mean, how many churches you'd call up and say, hey, we're going to be there. Would you mind showing us around? They'd probably get, okay, you know, here's the church. Um, you go, go find a place to sit down. But not only did they give us a, a tour of the uh, of the facility, mm-hmm. you know, get us free coffees, and um, meet us after the service to kind of talk about the service afterwards. I mean, they went all out for us. Right. And that's just an example of what it's like for the average average person to go there on a Sunday morning. Right. And it didn't look pushed. It looked no, like no. something completely natural, like, yeah, we do this all the time. I mean, sure. I mean, this wasn't like, oh, you, you want a tour? <laughs> um, can I, let me ask to see if we do that. <laughs> yeah, you right. know, that kind of thing. Right, no, right. no. I mean, this was, it was, again, just an amazing, you know, customer experience, you know, from that point of view. And, um, and, and, and then their facility for where they, where they hold their service. I mean, good night. Probably, I mean, that, that stage was every bit as impressive as the Van Halen se- uh, stage that when they were on tour. Oh, absolutely. You yeah. know, and oh, so. Yeah. Anyway, real quick, we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to dive into, now that we've done a little bit of prep work on this, we're going to dive into the content of the Christian message that they're delivering. And it's, and this is where Evan and I, and you know Ryan and, and uh, Jay also, are in agreement that uh, we must warn Granger that they're heading the wrong way. There's a compromise in the message, and we want to bring that to light. And it's not, and we're not criticizing because they're not Lutheran, right? No, yeah. this this is just basic Christian biblical stuff that we're talking about here. So I uh, want to remind you that if you want to email me, you can at uh, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. I'm generally a friendly guy on Facebook. Wow. Yeah. I have lots of friends. People poke you all the time? Yeah. Thank God, no. That would hurt. <laughs> but one lady did ask me if I would babysit her 11 children. That huh. was awkward. Or, or you can follow me Has on Twitter. Has she listened to the show? Yeah, she listened. Yeah. <laughs> I think she just, that's her way of poking me. Anyway, we'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, <sighs> sacked the choir, and put Damn. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. (laughs) 
nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian turtle. Damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody uh, expects. Uh, expects no. Nobody expects the um, purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, I, I know. I know. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do chief ex- weapons are our chief weapons are um, purpose uh, uh, vision. Okay. Okay. Stop. Stop that. Stop that. Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick. Read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough! Now, how do you plead? Well, we're, we're innocent. innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that! We live in a time when there are full-out attacks against the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. One particular threat that you need to know how to protect yourself from is the attack against the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement. J.I. Packer called this doctrine the heart of the gospel, and this doctrine is now being openly attacked by liberals and emergents alike. This is why Pirate Christian Radio is featuring the book Pierced for Our Transgressions, Rediscovering the Glory of Penal Substitution. This book lays out the biblical underpinnings of this non-negotiable doctrine as well as its rich historical pedigree. After reading this book, you'll have a deep biblical understanding of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross as well as possess a sound biblical and historical defense against those who are attacking this important doctrine. Pierce for Our Transgressions is available at piratechristianradio.com and is only $25 plus $4 shipping and handling and all proceeds help to support Pirate Christian Radio. So log on to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy today. back you're listening to fighting for the faith and i am chris rosebro and i am evan gigline we are your servants in jesus christ dishing up a daily dose of biblical discernment and directions on the freeway (laughs) (laughs) you know see my spirit man was talking to your spirit man because you i knew you were going to get lost (laughs) yeah i know that's right yeah (laughs) want to remind you all that fighting for the faith is listener supported radio which means that your financial support is vital for us to continue bringing fighting for the faith to you you can support us by uh, visiting our website fightingforthefaith.com and clicking on one of the donate buttons there we cr- we have multiple donate buttons there just specifically because it, it looks like begging when we do that <laughs> uh, or if you would like to do it the traditional way you can make your gift payable to fighting for the faith and send it to post office box 508 fishers indiana zip code 46 
38. All right. What we're going to do now is we're going to kind of ease into our review. And, and the one thing that, that uh, even though I listen to Granger sermons every week, um, attending the service actually helped me get a, a more complete idea of what it is that goes on there. It really is, uh, it's an immersive experience is probably the best way to put it. And, um, the, the service itself, let me, let me make sure I've got everything kicked up here. Um, the service itself, uh, start, started off with, uh, you know, something I would never have you know thought in a million years would happen? Basically, cover songs from secular music. Right. Okay. Now I grew up in the in in you know legalistic Nazarenism. Okay, <laughs> which basically means that that's uh, forbidden, isn't it? Well, let me put it this way: when I was in high school, back after the flood, um, <laughs> when Christian music was really first starting to get traction in the market. I mean, Petra was out, Steve Taylor, and um, and you know bands like that. There was a lot of controversy about whether or not Christians can really produce rock and roll music. And I think uh, I think they took Amy Grant outside the city walls and threw rocks at her until she stopped moving. <laughs> right. I, but last time I checked out, I mean, she pretty much got crucified, you know, for, for some of the things that she did. And by today's standards, I mean, people wouldn't even blink an eye. I know, yeah. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you know, I kind of grew up in that first generation, you know, of people who were, you know. But the one thing that was universally agreed by all Nazarenes is that, Secular music sends you to hell. If you are a true Christian, <laughs> then you would never allow your mind to be darkened by something as evil as secular music. And uh, <laughs> it's not very sanctified. <laughs> no, no. Uh, you know, yeah, so, you know, I was convinced that, I, in fact, I was talked into this. I had to get rid of all of my secular albums. And how many do you think that was? I don't want to talk about it because <laughs> what, it. let's put it this way: it, it wasn't the it wasn't the um, the number of albums; it was the amount of uh, hard earned uh, money, you know that yeah. uh, that kind of you know that that, that was the thing that hurt the worst. Because not only did I have to get rid of all of these um, albums that I had uh, that I had, they were albums that I had purchased, right? You know, and um, you know, anyway, you couldn't just pay a dollar per song no, on download. Then no, it wasn't <laughs> like that. I mean, and and they were all on vinyl, and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I got rid of all of my Beatles albums, uh, and I had I had almost the entire collection of Beatles uh, wor- works by then. I had to get rid of all of my Journey albums. I got rid of my Foreigner albums. Uh, you know, now could you resell them, or was that was no that dirty I, money? No, I was con- I was told I couldn't sell them. I was told I had to get rid of them oh. so that nobody else would be influenced <laughs> by that kind of stuff. I guess that makes sense. And what did I replace it with? Petra, and <laughs> Amy Grant, Amy Grant. <laughs> Love is the color of the blood that flowed. Anyway, <laughs> so you know, in, in thinking back on it, I kind of got the short end of the stick because little did I know that coming up in 2009, <laughs> you could go to church and they would actually play cover songs. You could have brought some of your vinyls. Maybe they played at Granger. <laughs> the problem is, is the stuff I used to listen to isn't relevant anymore, oh. probably with the exception of the Beatles. And in fact, uh, did I, well, let me see if I took notes on, on what was being played. Um, yeah, here we go. I'm going to play just a little bit of, of what – so we get in there, you know – I mean, literally. I mean, they while they were giving us the tour, the band was rehearsing their uh, their numbers, and uh, the the uh, service itself starts off with this one. They did a pretty good cover. Oh yeah, they, they yeah. 
Now they're not as good as Joel Osteen's band, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I just want to let you know that. Okay. Yeah, you know, Osteen's got like the, I think the best of the bands. You know, probably pays top dollar for it. Too. Right. You know. Anyway, um, so uh, this song is uh, White Stripes by uh, Seven Nation Army. Oh yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Now, I, th- I think they just play the music, not the, uh, I don't know if the song actually has lyrics, but I'm assuming it has lyrics. But so, yeah. I mean, that that, that kind of gives you the idea of the vibe there. Right. Yeah. See, uh, Evan and I, were bobbing our heads and doing Sorry. the white man overbite. Everybody else is too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, so last time I checked, Seven Nation Army is n- not a Christian band, but they, they so it starts off with that cover. Now, I'm going to fast forward a little bit here, and it, the, the next piece that they, they play is... Uh, is a, an acoustic almost you know well there's three guys gathered around a kitchen table and it's got dishes on it and they're right. going to be doing a cover of beck's song clap hands so um this was actually really well done oh yeah yeah there's broken dishes flying everywhere yeah, exactly so kind of in that stomp kind of genre right yeah here here, here we go they've raised the fork my hands along and ride along like a vagabond. I'll rip my uniform and bend the floor to the early morning. I'll shake your dollar bill and spend it all before the bombs will kill me. I'll save my best for that, and after that don't even ask that hands. My broken bell and make it ring like a million churches. I'll scratch that kind of bitch down in the ditch and switch my plates out. I'll drive to San Francisco, death the disco, take my shirt off. I'll swim to Mexico, don't tell the mermaids where I'm going, flat hands. Flat hands. This is a good cover of the sure. song, man. And by the way, when I got home, I tried this and broke all of my fine china. Trying to Didn't they tell it. you not to bring that to your cell at the seminary? <laughs> my cell. You saw my cell. Yeah, I just saw your cell. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I mean that. Okay, so I'm trying to help people kind of walk through the experience. I mean, so it starts off with two secular covers, mm-hmm. and um, and as soon as this is over. And by the way, if you want to watch the whole thing, you can go to GCC Wired. Uh, dot com, which is their, uh, which is the website that they have there, and if you click on, you know, watch the service. I mean, just from a performing arts point of view, I mean, uh, this is from a performance arts point of view. This is good stuff. Yeah, top of the line. Okay, I mean, ju- it's well executed. It's uh, compelling. It's it's professional. Sure. And so again, why are they doing this? Because people matter to God, and so the idea here is is that there's a, a, the unbeliever coming in. Uh, they, you know, they can feel like this is something that they're familiar with. Thank God it's rock and roll and not uh, ultimate cage fighting. That's the thing that's really popular. <laughs> and, I mean, seriously, think about yeah, it. Yeah. Because if you really take this methodology to its logical conclusion, if the United States, for whatever reason, decided that they, they're, they're going to dump the whole rock and roll thing and then replace it instead with ultimate cage fighting, then you'd have to start a church service off with a match. Yeah, you would. You yeah, know, of course. Gonna... 
you know that I could practice up for that, and you know I'd do pretty well. Uh, I'll stick to my breaking china. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, by the way, just just by a counterpoint, um, no examples from the ancient church of them starting off a church service with a gladiatorial match. Okay, and the gladiators were the rock stars of the ancient world. Just want to point that out. Now, the, after the uh, the Beck uh, clap hands cover, they played a little video, and this little video kind of begins setting up uh, the begins the process of setting up the sermon and the message. So they're kind of easing people into it, and so this was a, another artistic thing that they did. And here's the video uh, about is your life out of sync. It can be hard to know when your life is out of sync. As a rule, if you dread getting up every day, your life might be out of sync. Now, I'm going to point something out. The name of the message series that they're in is called Sync. And this is a repackaging of the purpose, the 40 days of purpose, because they're doing the purpose-driven life. And so this is about getting your life in sync. It makes me wonder, though, if they did the purpose-driven life before, is it... Are they getting more out of it the second time, or is this you know a, a repurposeful life? The, the repurposed life? <laughs> yeah, okay. it, 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 I don't know. Is this putting the Holy Spirit in a box because you have to do the purpose-driven life twice? Or, 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 or once a year? <laughs> you know? Or perhaps the, they had purpose, but it was just not in sync. So here we go. Okay, so anyway, the message itself, they've repackaged it. It's all about getting your life in sync. So what's the problem that they're solving in this message? The problem is specifically to the very the big question, the big idea is, is your life out of sync? We continue. If you dread getting up every day and your most functional relationship is with your bird, Tiki, hey, Tiki, your life might be out of sync. If you dread getting up every day, your most functional relationship is with your bird, Tiki, and the word kindness is no longer in your vocabulary, your life might be out of sync. If you dread getting up every day, your most functional relationship is with your hey, bird, Tiki. Tiki. The word kindness is no longer in your vocabulary, and you lack any self-control. He just lost the game for Your team. life might be out of sync. You know what this reminds me of, that song? I know an old lady who swallowed a fly. Oh, right, I don't know right. why she swallowed a fly. I guess she'll die. Right. You know, it adds on more. Yeah, it adds on. Yeah, so that's kind of the idea. <laughs> if you dread getting up every day, your most functional relationship is with your bird, Tiki. The word kindness is no longer in your vocabulary. You lack any sense of self-control, and you can't even rely on your best friend anymore. Jack, fetch! Uh, I don't think so. Your life might be out of sync. If you dread getting up every day, your most functional relationship is with your bird, Tiki. The word kindness is no longer in your vocabulary. You lack any sense of self-control. You can't even rely on your best friend anymore. And you find yourself with no patience. little humor here is showing a nurse. No, not that kind of patience. Move! That's better. Two guys playing chess, and uh, apparently one of the old guys is lost is cool there. If you dread getting up every day, your most functional relationship is with your bird, Tiki. The word kindness is no longer in your vocabulary. You lack any sense of self-control. You can't even rely on your best friend anymore. And you find yourself with no patience. Your life might be out of sync. All right, so that's beginning to set up. They're transitioning now from the the cover stuff that people are familiar with and kind of setting up the teaching at this point. Right, yep. And so the big problem is, is your life out of sync? Right. Now, immediately, the, the question that comes to my mind is, did Jesus come, live a perfect life, die on the cross, and rise from the dead in order to solve the universal problem of people having lives that are out of sync? 
Yeah. It's, it, every time you preach, every time you hear a sermon, you're going to hear a problem and an answer. A, right. A problem and a resolution. Mm-hmm. And earlier we were talking about law and gospel. So I guess if you wanted to look at it that way, you could say uh, in, in, in biblical preaching you're going to have the law, which would kind of be the problem. Mm-hmm. And then what's the answer to that problem? It is Christ the, crucified for, for our sins. Right. And so uh, the problem here is... I have a hard time getting up. My life is out of sync. Right. Not, Things aren't you know. going right. Right. You know, it's kind of like that uh, that story about that kid who who had the who had that terrible, no good, very bad day. Right. And decided right. he wanted to move to Australia. All right. You know. Um. And, and you know, this is a problem that everybody can identify with. I mean, who doesn't exactly have a hard time getting up in the morning? Yeah. I mean, and it, all of us have issues. But see, the thing is, is what causes our life to get out of sync. It, 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 ultimately, what it comes down to is our sin and rebellion against God. We live in a fallen and cursed creation as a result of our sin. And, um, and so this, this is a symptom of, of a bigger problem. Okay? Right. Okay. So For Christians, too. I mean, yeah, everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, okay. So here comes um, you know, the pastor here. Um, oh, oh, let's see. What the, I got to look. At, it was Rob Wagner. Rob Wagner is the gentleman who preached that day. Now, uh, Mark Beeson's the head pastor, the head teaching pastor there at uh, Granger Community. Mark Beeson was not the one preaching. It was Rob Wagner. Now he's going to come on stage and he's going to further kind of set up this problem for you. <laughs> well, how many of you would admit that pretty much sums up your week this last week, huh? And yeah, how it's like asking are, anyone here breathing? <laughs> it's, it reminds me of those uh, psychic callers. You call in, they, ha- they get the most general, right. um, vague you know, questions. You know, oh, did, I'm sensing a bad day today or about last week. Is it? <laughs> oh, you're good. <laughs> yeah. No, you can read my mind. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's How many do... of you wish you had my giant hammer to solve your problems? <laughs> yes, it's all mine. Listen. When the pressure's on, what's inside comes out. And sometimes we don't like what we see coming out of us. Okay, got to stop right there. When the pressure's on, what's on the inside is what comes out. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, again, that's a symptom. But what's really on the inside? What does the, uh, how does the Bible describe humanity's problem? Yeah. Okay. I mean, in our rebellion against against God, we are then enemies of God. I exactly. Mean. And let me let me back this up with a little bit of scripture, just so that you don't think that this is uh, Evan and Roseboro just giving their Lutheran ideas. So if we look at Ephesians chapter one per se, okay, right. or chapter two, sorry, chapter two, starting verse one, it says this: "And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked." Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that would be Satan, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who would be the sons of disobedience? Every human being who doesn't have faith. (laughs) Now, among whom we all once lived, now understand Paul's audience here is the the Christian church at Ephesus, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Now, that's not a very positive way of putting it, um, like the rest of mankind. So here, um, in the opening verses to chapter 2 of Ephesians, it lays out humanity's problem, and that is is that we are by nature children of wrath. We are at war with God, sons of disobedience, following Satan, the prince of the power of the air, dead in trespasses and sins. These are all, this is all the problem, okay? Now, 
The reason I bring this up is because if you go back back to when Jesus gives the Great Commission, there's two versions of it, one in uh, Matthew, the other in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, Jesus says that you know that to the apostles that they're to go out and preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Now, I am of the opinion that all nations includes 21st century America, even 21st century America living in small communities such as Granger, Indiana, that they need to be taught and, and, the, and they need to have the message of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name proclaimed to them, both believers and unbelievers, because that's everybody. Okay, right. And that falls along, falls back to the issue. The problem that humanity faces is that we're dead in trespasses and sin, uh, children of the devil. Uh, yeah, that's and that and that's the law talk. If you really think about it, yeah. If you think about it, the, the the great irony here is is the, the preaching of of the law that we are sinners, the preaching of repentance, is actually more relevant than any any of these. I mean, right. So you could come across someone who's you actually. I love getting up in the morning. The sun's up. Maybe you don't live in Indiana, and it's there a nice are people day, so. that are like that. I know that it's hate a, them. But can you find anyone? <laughs> can you find anyone? Who's who the law doesn't apply to? No, no, and so this is actually more relevant to right. anyone who walks in the door. Exactly. So the preaching of sins—it doesn't matter what niche market you are. It doesn't matter what your psychological profile is. It doesn't matter if you are one of those weird people like SpongeBob SquarePants who gets up every day and it's just wonderful. <laughs> yes, in life I just love living it. Come here, I want to hurt you. <laughs> you, right. you know, you, you understand what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Okay, so. What they're, at this point, they're talking about a symptom of, of our sinful nature that, even though it applies to a lot of people, may not equally apply at any given time. Right. You right. know? Um, I, I mean, it'd be hard to convince somebody who just won the, you know, $120 million in Powerball, you know, that their life is out of sync while they've, you know, they're sailing in their yacht in the Mediterranean, you yeah, know, yeah. you know, sipping little... Life is feeling pretty synced right now. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So just want to bring that out. Now, let, let, let's continue with his little message intro. Because many times when the pressure's on, what comes out is anger. When the pressure's on, what comes out is selfishness. When the pressure's on, what comes out... It doesn't happen to me when it's just the pressure. I mean, that sometimes comes out when there's no pressure, yeah. just because I'm a wretched sinner. Yeah. Uh, 24-7, pretty much. Yeah. It's fear. And what we're learning in this journey is that we can actually get in sync with God, with His purposes, with His life. And what Jesus promised is that He has the power to transform human beings from the inside out. So that when the... Okay. True and not true. Right. Um, you know, it, it's not that it's it's an outright falsehood. It's just there's the the emphasis is on the wrong syllable. Right. Yeah. The the implication here is that uh, when Jesus has the power that it's a cooperative work. Is right. That, is that the emphasis going on here? Yeah. And well, this is going to come out in the sermon too. Yeah, exactly. It comes out a lot clear. Clear. This is just kind of the setup. And so, what is Jesus here? Is he my savior or is he the guy who? He's he's kind of like a, a power source. Uh-huh. Yeah, you just kind of tap into it when you, when you, whenever you need it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Creeping me out there. Okay. Use, the force. Use Jesus, Luke. <laughs> right. Anyway, we continue. Pressure's on what's inside that comes out. Instead of anger, it's patience. Instead of fear, it's courage. Now, those would be the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Definitely the, the Holy Spirit works those fruits in us as we abide in Christ. Right. Okay. Right. Now, not use Christ. 
yeah. or apply the principles of, and the examples of Christ, but abide in Christ. There's really a, a difference there. Right. Instead of selfishness, it's selflessness. And Jesus said that kind of transformation is possible. And that's what we're going to be learning about today. Uh, did Jesus say that? Um, where is that in the Bible? Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm not trying to be nitpicky here, but we've got to be real careful. We don't put words in Jesus' mouth. You don't want to play fast and loose with the things that Jesus claimed. Okay, like for instance, Jesus never, ever once told people that they need to eat microwave burritos. That's true. Okay, but I know for a fact that he probably approves of them. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'm just trying to make the point. Right, right. You understand what I'm, I'm saying? With you. Yeah. And it, but see, the thing is, I have a preference for such things, and I can't somehow project that onto Jesus. Yeah. Okay, so we've got to be careful. Yes, yeah, just to be careful with the, with the words of Jesus as he said them. Right. You, you don't. You, <laughs> You don't want Jesus. You don't want to say that Jesus is affirming something he didn't affirm. Right. All right. We're off to a great start. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? It's been fun, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, I hope you have high expectations because God is present in this room. He's with us. He wants to speak to us and change us. So let's stand to our feet and recognize His presence and sing to Him together. All right. Now I'm going to play a little bit from the op- this opening praise song. Okay, before we go into our break. Now on Table Talk Radio, you and uh, Pastor Wolfmuller have a praise song cruncher. That's right. We play this this praise song cruncher, and it's a uh, article that Pastor Wolfmuller wrote. He, the official title is "Criteria for Discerning the Usefulness of Praise Songs," but it's so much more fun to just say praise song cruncher right now the idea behind the praise song cruncher is that because we live in a day where you have to exercise discernment at all times just because somebody slaps a label of christian on a song doesn't necessarily mean that it's christian just like saying just because the, the the church down the street has the word christian on it that that means it's really a christian church right. that's preaching christ and him crucified for our sins and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in jesus's name so you have to look at the content so um, right off the bat, this first song is called We Shine, and the thing that really struck me about the lyrics to this song is is that uh, if you listen to these lyrics, the people in this, the people that are singing the song, they're not praising Christ, they're singing about themselves. So let's listen in just a little bit here before we go to the break. Pause right there. Okay, so the sentence, all, every sentence, when we do this, when we do that, when we, 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 they're who are they singing about themselves? Well, it's, it's amazing. We're singing about us singing. We're singing about us clapping. Does this make any sense? No. And you notice when he introed the song, he said, let's stand on our feet and recognize his presence. So what song do they lead in after recognize, or to, to recognize his presence? We're going to recognize his presence by saying we're singing. Yeah, we're going to sing a song about that, us singing. Is it about... us singing that, that is the promise of him right. being present? No, he is his presence where his name is taught in his truth and purity. Right. And we'll see if that, in, in, in the message today, if it's taught in its truth and purity. Right, exactly. And so right off the bat, you know, 
I, I'm not having not been immersed in in evangelical worship for many years now. Um, I'm not familiar with the song, but it struck me right off the bat. Who are we singing about? Uh, us, us, yeah. And we're singing about us singing, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's self-referential. I mean, it's, why would we sing about? Our actions, our doings. Right. The, the, the criteria for the praise song country, I should say. Uh, can I, do I have time to just run through these? No, please. Okay, the first question is, is Jesus mentioned, yes or no? And if yes, is it in name or concept? We want Jesus not to be ambiguous. We want him to be clear, the, the clear subject of the song. Right. The number two is clarity. Is the song clear? Does it use sentences with with a subject, verb, and object, or sentence fragments? So this is a, a big thing in, in, in praise songs today. Are, so many times we use sentence fragments, you know. Right. You know, we sing, we sing. We, these are all sentence fragments. No, there's a, a, a subject, a verb, and an object. Right. And all these are required for a sentence. Number three is mysticism. Is it objective or subjective? Is the song about the things that God has done, which is objective, or about my own emotions, experiences, subjective? Does the song repeat the same phrase over and over in a hymnatic mantra? <laughs> the answer, yeah, we got some problems here. So right. based on the praise song cruncher, which is just a, just a tool for objectively you know, critiquing a right. praise song as to whether or not this is really appropriate for Christian worship you know, right. at all. Uh, well, and and the, the whole reason Pastor Wolfmuller wrote this was to try and bring some objective critique to praise song because it was, it was kind of a free-for-all out there. You know, how are we going to bring it in an objective way to kind of just ask these questions about the praise songs? Right. Now, if somebody wants to get a hold of that, they can get it at tabletalkradio.org, right? Right. We have and, an articles button, and it's right there on, on our article Right, and it's called the Praise Song Cruncher. All right, we're going to take our second break, and uh, then when we come back, we're going to get into the actual meat of the sermon itself. And and uh, do a full-blown critique of it that way. So we've got lots still to do here at Fighting for the Faith. Thanks for sticking with us. And want to remind you, if you want to email me, you can at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. This sissy, frenzy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We live in a time when there are full-out attacks against the gospel and sound biblical doctrine. One particular threat that you need to know how to protect yourself from is the attack against the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement. J.I. Packer called this doctrine the heart of the gospel, and this doctrine is now being openly attacked by liberals and emergents alike. This is why Pirate Christian Radio is featuring the book Pierced for Our Transgressions, Rediscovering the Glory of Penal Substitution. 
This book lays out the biblical underpinnings of this non-negotiable doctrine as well as its rich historical pedigree. After reading this book, you'll have a deep biblical understanding of what Christ accomplished for you on the cross as well as possess a sound biblical and historical defense against those who are attacking this important doctrine. Pierce for Our Transgressions is available at piratechristianradio.com and is only $25 plus $4 shipping and handling, and all proceeds help to support Pirate Christian Radio. So log on to piratechristianradio.com and order your copy today. listening to Fighting for the Faith, and we are starting our numero dos. Yeah, I like it when you uh, call me and you start speaking Spanish. Yeah. I have no idea what you're saying. Yeah, gringo, you no se habla español. Uh, speak English, eh? por favor. <laughs> oh, man. We're right in the middle of uh, doing a debrief on our trip to Granger Community Church, and we're offering a free service. To, right. to the folks at Granger and uh, by uh, offering a basically a theological critique. I, I can't offer them a business critique because as an MBA student, I recognize just they from win. a business point of view, <laughs> the, they, they, they are pulling it off, man. They're doing it. That's it's right. it's it, the theology that we got a problem with right. at this point. And it is a, a free service, but if they choose to donate to your program, they may, right? I will not turn down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would then I, yeah. that would be weird, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah I got to I got to pray about that. <laughs> Get a big check from Grander Community Church to yeah. fighting for the faith. Uh, the people, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, not to give any. <laughs> I could just hear everyone's going. No, don't do it, Chris. We'll lose you. <laughs> anyway, no, if they want to contribute money to uh, fighting for the faith because they find value in in the in the service that we offer here, I'm all for it. All right. As long as I understand there's no strings attached and that I will continue to serve the body of Christ and to serve them with good discernment, then we're good. Right. All right. Now, uh, we've we've basically gotten into just the praise and worship time. And what I'm going to do now, what I would recommend anybody doing is that, uh, you know, I know some good uh, contemporary music uh, that I don't have any problems with. Why? Because when you look at the content of a song, that determines whether or not it's really Christian. It's always based on the message of the of the song. If you're singing about yourself, you're not worshiping God, right? Okay, you're worshiping yourself. Yeah, and and so when it comes to Christian music, the the, the proof is always in the lyrics, not the pudding, but the lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, and, and we on t- on Table Talk Radio, we've uh, reviewed a few praise songs that have passed our little praise song cruncher here. And so they do exist. No, they do exist. <laughs> so we would just just you know ask people who are you know choosing the music for their praise bands or whatever to use some discernment in, in picking up some songs. Exactly, and in pastors in in uh, uh, music ministers, that applies to you too. Just because something's the coolest song right now and it's a fad and it's really popular with with other churches. Doesn't mean that you should be praying, uh, singing it or at your church. You know, uh, it's up to you to basically compare what's being sung about to the Word of God and ask: Is this really appropriate to you know for God's people to be singing, or is it? Uh, and, I mean, you know, me singing about myself. Yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, all right. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to skip ahead in the uh, uh, in uh, to the next song, which for some of you this cover song might be offensive just because it's sung by Nine Inch Nails. Okay, it's a Nine Inch Nails cover song. They're a controversial band. A few years ago, they did a video uh, for a song that they did called "Closer," and in the video, they they had a crucified monkey. Okay, they had a monkey on a cross. And so uh, Nine Inch Nails is not what I would consider to be the most Christian-friendly band out there. Yeah. Okay, so Granger picked this song, though, that's called Every Day is Exactly the Same. The reason they picked it is because it fits with the big idea in the message that they're going to be preaching. And and so you understand that uh, it, they're theme-based and so this Nine Inch Nails song, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, just fits into the overall theme of the message that day. So, um, but I, at, at this point, you know, I've got more important fish to fry, so I'm not going to get bent out of shape and, and put on my, my old Nazarene hat and scream at them for singing a Nine Inch Nails song. So I, I appreciate that, too. Yeah, because you're right in front of me. And right. I might spit on you. <laughs> All right, so here's their cover of Every Day is Exactly the Same. And, I, and this is important for setting up the message itself. If I had Hang on, they're getting to I, I play that part of the cover song because, again, you know, if you've heard the song, I mean, Nine Inch Nails has that kind of metallic steampunk kind of sound thing going on. And you, you got the gist of it. The The whole point is every day is exactly the same. They got a video going on in the background on this ginormous um, uh, screen, screen there. Uh, again, their their stage setup is every bit as good as as the Van Halen stage. Absolutely, and um, 
they uh, and it shows this guy who really looks unhappy as he goes through the same routine day in and day out. It shows him waking up, brushing his teeth, taking a shower, getting dressed, going to work, coming home, watching TV, going to bed, waking up. And so it's a, it, the whole song, the, the performance is designed to kind of get you into that mood and reflect on the fact that, are you really happy with your life? Is your life out of sync? Is every day just exactly the same for you? Right, right. So, um, so they're using visual arts and music here to kind of convey that message. And again, I'm going to come back to my original question. Is the problem that humanity faces that we have a monotonous life? Okay. Now, um, before we even get into the sermon, I'm just going to ask this question. I mean, did did, did Jesus Christ die on the cross to save your monotonous life, save you from it? What about it, such as uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, where it says, Slaves, obey your masters. Right. Or Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 says the same thing. Slaves, obey your masters. Or if you read Paul's uh, epistle to Philemon, Philemon was a slave owner uh, in Colossae, and his slave, Onesimus, had run away. And you know, by divine intervention, Paul gets a hold of Onesimus, preaches the gospel to him. He repents of his sins and trusts in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And what does Paul do? He says, "You know, I can't. I can't imagine sending you back to a monotonous life such as slavery. No, instead, he s- sends him back to Philemon." And right. so he, Paul sends Onesimus back into slavery, into the life of a slave. Right. Well, and in the doctrine of vocation, too, we have this great teaching that in our vocations, and, and by vocation, I don't just mean your job, including your job, but whether you're a father or a mother or a brother or sister or son or daughter, whatever your vocation that God has given you, you are serving your neighbor. So, right. you know, it, it's interesting. When, when your mom places food before you after cooking this, this meal, you still bow your head and, and thank God for the food. Right. But yet you just saw your mother play, place it or your wife or whoever play, place it on the table in front of you. Yet right. you're thanking God for it. Right. And here we, we learn that, that through our vocations, God is at work. Right. That, that the, the wife or mother is wearing what we call a mask of God. Mm-hmm. That uh, even though that we, we think – we do think – I don't say we don't think our wives are our mothers, but uh, we think God that, – that God is working through that wife or through that mother to, right. to deliver. And whatever other vocations were behind for preparation of that meal too, the farmers or whoever else. So we, we, we don't just have to, to say that, you know, oh, you're stuck in a rut. Um, uh, you, you hate getting up in the morning. Your, your job is out of sync. Hey, or look, Jesus we, is going to add spice to your life yeah, and change right. the monotony. <laughs> right, right. We, we have this teaching that, look – in, in our vocations, we are serving our neighbors and thus serving God. And you notice uh, when Jesus says that he'll separate the sheep from the goats, the sheep say, Lord, when did we ever see you right, in hungry need? Right, or in the, need. The sheep didn't even realize they were doing, if you want to call good works. We, Christians always talk about good works, you know. And, and, and maybe those good works are those monotonous things that you do on a day-to-day basis. Changing diapers, cleaning snotty noses, you know, uh, you know. Uh, going to work and working in the cubicle every single day, yeah, you know, so, washing dishes, making meals, uh, mowing the lawn, all of that. Yeah, so all of the – if you want to look at for good works as we always talk about, maybe they're in that very monotony that we we hate so much today. Right. Yeah, because yeah, – all right. We, well, okay. So there we go. That kind of sets it up. That's the Nine Inch Nails song. And now we're going to get into the sermon proper. 
All right, so here here we go. Here's uh, uh, what I keep forgetting this guy's name. Uh, Rob. Rob Wenger uh, Wagner. This is Rob Wagner from uh, from Granger Community Church, and the name of this sermon is "Mix It Up." Mix it up. Here we go. Well, have you had that moment when you realize my life is less and less like a life and more and more like an existence? Where you realize there's this rhythm to your life, but it's a rhythm of monotony, and it's starting to drive you crazy. It's not the rhythm of meaning and purpose. It's, it's monotony, and it starts to feel like every day is exactly the same. Last week, I bumped into a friend I hadn't seen in a while, and we did the initial chit-chat and kind of caught up on our lives. And then I asked him, so how are you really doing? And he's a small business owner, and he started with this caveat. He said, you know, uh, my business is doing pretty well, and I know I probably should just be grateful right now that I work for myself, and I'm paying my bills, and I'm keeping food on the table. But he said, i got to tell you something. I've got to this point where, like, I get up in the morning, and I feel like I get on a conveyor belt, and I do the exact same activities, and I go to bed, and then I get up in the morning, and I get on the same conveyor belt, do the same activities, and I go to bed, and I'm... And I, I know it's probably not the right time to be asking these questions with the economy the way it is, but I keep asking myself, like, what's next? You know, what, what's more? And then he asked me, so what do you think? Okay, so he's setting up the problem here. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he's going to mix into this, you know, a healthy dose of humor. So, you know, I mean, because that's mandatory. Get ready. Right. So <laughs> I just want to warn you ahead of time. Uh, but since he gets paid to tell jokes, that does make him a professional. So we have to be ah, careful. All know, right. He's not an amateur. So I asked him what I usually ask people in that situation. I said, you know, have you tried recreational drug use yet? <laughs> you know, what? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> do, you, do you have one of those buttons? I, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm doing the sermon review off of a website, and I, do, I, have, I usually use a web anyway. Oh, soundboard thing. Yeah. yeah. So I'll just have to ad lib the button. Okay, that'll do. What you need is a new pair of shoes, man. That would change your whole life. What you need is a new hobby. Try paragliding. It'll rock your world. What you need is a vacation. And, and these are the answers our culture gives to us. And we know that they're not good enough. That they're surface answers. And that there's something much deeper that's nagging at us. When we are in that rhythm of monotony where every day feels exactly the same. And I imagine in a room this size with this many people, there's some of you who watched that video and there's this profound sense like, that is my life. Okay, now there's, there's going to be a, a particular amount of unbelievers who are going to relate to this and say, yeah, I've, I've experienced this monotony and, you know, you know, this lack of meaning to my life, so to speak. You know, it's, I think this is, you know, to kind of put the best construction on, I think this is similar to Augustine's God-shaped hole, sure. you know, in, in your heart kind of thing. And so I think that's what he's trying to get at. Now, what one of my critiques of the seeker-driven movement is, is they describe God as having a man-shaped hole in his heart rather than the other way around. But uh, but this is, this is more of that God-shaped hole kind of thing. So, um, if you're there and you're an unbeliever, now understand. Uh, Mark Waltz made it clear. I mean, what does he say? Like tw- they estimate like 25 percent of the people attending there right. are not Christians. Yeah, that was a question we asked. We asked, you know, how many people? If you have an idea, and he said over time, we don't know a real time stat, but uh, keep that in mind. Even you mentioned kind of uh, a common thing that you hear that Christians don't need to hear the gospel. Let's just work within their their mindset for just a moment. Mm-hmm. Even within that mindset, there's 25% of the people there who have 
who are, who do not have faith in Christ. Right. So the, even within their mindset, these are twenty five percent of the people that need to hear the gospel. Exactly. Now I would I would take their motif of uh, people matter to God, and I would I would agree with them. At this point, absolutely people matter to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Absolutely. So I would say to add on to their motif, if they really truly believe that people matter to God, then then that means that they have a responsibility to not stop with just the coffee bar and the uh, in the in the cover songs and all that kind of stuff. But if people really matter to God, then they have they have an absolute divine duty to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to those unbelievers that are showing up at their church. Absolutely. Okay. Otherwise, they're just playing at this people matter to God theme. Right. Okay. It, it was just completely uh, unbelievable that you could have. People come into the doors of your church. I mean, we always talk about how, you know, you always hear people talk about this, how, how hard it is to share your faith with people on the streets and stuff like that. Right. Okay. But when there's people coming to your church where you have their attention for 45 minutes in your church, you have, like you said, a d- divine imperative right. to preach the gospel. Yeah, we do. All right. So we continue. And even if you don't live with a profound sense of that, I know in this room, all of us at certain times, there's this this question, what's more, you know, what, what's next? There's this lack of satisfaction. It's sort of like this nagging, reoccurring itch that we c- can't quite get to, and it sort of haunts us. And now, this, this is where it, I think the sermon actually begins to take a bad turn. Yeah. Lack of satisfaction. Yeah. Uh, customer satisfaction is is the is the motif we're running into at this point. <laughs> right. I'm dissatisfied with my life. Right. You know, maybe if I changed my eye color, you know, you know, lost some weight. Right. That's not going to happen. I have, I have a professor at the seminary that always says, if you ask the wrong question, then you get the wrong answer. Yeah. And so here we're we're having we're setting with a problem. The the, the question being, um, are you supposed to have satisfaction in your life? Right. You know, maybe in our vocation, in, the, in our monotony of life, maybe we're not commanded or promised to have satisfaction, but we are commanded to do our, our job, our vocation. Right. And so if you're, if you're asking the wrong question, you're automatically going to get the wrong answer. Yep, that's, you're absolutely spot on there. Now, I would bring in to bear just, you know, just by way of a challenge point at this point, since he's, he's switching, to, you know, the, I'm not satisfied with my life, and, and, and the, you know, there's got to be something more, and Jesus apparently is supposed to solve the monotony of the day-to-day. I would throw in as a counterpoint uh, Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19, where Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, okay? I, I, I'm going to read this up front before we get into uh, Rob's uh, other points because I want to, I, I really want to challenge what he's saying with Scripture at this point. Is, is Chris, did Christ come to solve the, the, the lack of personal satisfaction and the monotony problem? Well, let me throw this in as kind of a, a, some evidence into the mix as to where Jesus would fall on this. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Notice the rich man isn't given a name. Yeah, interesting. The, the, the poor man who was sitting at the gate, he has a name. Now, I don't think that's by accident. 
Okay, because uh, one of the things we learn is, you know, one of the metaphors in Scripture for salvation is, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Does Jesus know your name, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Uh, the rich man doesn't have a name. The poor man does. And let me read about this poor man. At his gate was laid the poor man. His name was Lazarus, and he was covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores, and the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. He went to heaven. So just real quick, every day it was exactly the same for Lazarus. He was was put at the gate of the rich man. He had sores, and every day the dogs came and licked his sores. Did Jesus come and solve that problem? What was the great meaning and purpose of his life? I was wondering if he was satisfied. Probably not. In (laughs) fact, he wasn't satisfied because it says that he longed for the food that fell from the rich man's table like a dog himself. Right. Okay. But he dies and he goes to heaven. Why? Because he has faith. He trusted in Christ. Right. Okay. Uh, so the rich man died also, and he was buried and went to Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham from far off and Lazarus, Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Just in this story, okay, back when they both were alive, one had a very satisfying life. The other one didn't. Right. Jesus didn't solve that problem prior to their death did he no he didn't okay so we got to be careful that we're not selling jesus as the sol- as the solution to your lack of satisfaction problem because jesus doesn't promise universally that your life is even going to get better there's some people after they confess christ that their lives change so dramatically they end up dead as martyrs right okay right. or they're persecuted or they lose their family as a result of it because their their spouse is hostile to christ and doesn't want to have anything to do with a spouse who believes in Christ. Right. Or their children might turn against them. They might lose their job. There's there's a cost many times to being a Christian, and it might actually make your life less satisfying. Yeah. It's said that, uh, that once you're baptized, you're marked with the bullseye for the devil. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that comes in here. Yeah. They're described as the flaming arrows of the evil one. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that's why we need the armor of God, because right. well, we're going to get shot at. Anyway, let's continue. So I just want to—I I, I throw that into the mix because I want you to con- critique what he's saying and what he's promising in light of these scriptures. It comes in ebbs and flows. But you know what that, that feeling is, that longing for more. And it's exactly to people like me and you who feel unsatisfied that Jesus comes and he says these words. And I want to ask you to pull out your Granger notes. And I want you to look at the words of Jesus to the people who are unsatisfied, to people who are asking what's more, who feel trapped in the— you know, he's he's going to be reading to us John chapter 7, verses 37 and 39, and he's saying that Jesus is preaching this to people who are unsatisfied. Okay, again, he's playing fast and loose with the scriptures. Where does it say that he was preaching this to people who were unsatisfied? It's not in the text. That's a problem. ...of monotony. And he says this in John 7, verse 37. It's, it's the words of Jesus to us this morning, right here, right now. He says this, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. And see, Jesus isn't talking to spiritual giants who sit in a you know, lotus position, who are hovering in a state of nirvana, 
above their desires. He's talking to people. He's saying, hey, if you're dissatisfied, come to me. Now, there's a problem here. He is, the context of the sermon at this point is, is satis- dissatisfaction with your life because every day is exactly the same and there's monotony and you're dissatisfied. Is that really the problem that Jesus is addressing in Luke chapter 7, verse 37 and 39? What do you think, uh, Seminary and uh, John chapter 7. So, sorry, John chapter 7. Yeah. No, I, I don't think so because he, he's going to take this, this uh, thirsty, this, this you know, quenching of thirst to be your satisfaction. So if you're not satisfied, Jesus says, come on. If you're thirsty, I'll, I'll quench your thirst and... and and uh, give you satisfaction. So Jesus but, is crisp and clean with no caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's not what Jesus. Those who 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 thirst for the, for the bread of the feast. I mean, Jesus is giving Himself to us. Right. I mean, the the fact that Jesus would would die on the cross for our sins and, and give us faith so mm-hmm. that we would be saved. Right. I mean, we and our sinners are lost without Him. Right. But but Jesus, no, He He gives us Himself. Right. There's nothing in this text that would indicate. It consumer dissatisfaction with your life or general dissatisfaction <laughs> right. with your life. This, it, this thirsting is something far deeper than that. And so, and this is again, one of the problems that I have with the way seeker driven churches handle the scriptures is we're just ripping passages of scripture out of context and using them as a pretext, you know, and by the way, this is not a healthy way to, uh, to do Bible teaching at all. Because if you got to be careful, context, 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 because you can take two passages of scripture out of context and stick them together and make the Bible say something that it doesn't. For instance, you you know, the passage of scripture that says Judas went and hung himself. There's another passage that says, go thou and do likewise, stick them together. Now you've got an apologetic for suicide, (laughs) you know? Right, right. When I look in the, in the text before this uh, passage that he quotes, he he says uh, twice, he says, um, uh, you will seek me and you will not find me. Right. And so it gives us this concept that without faith, we can't even find God when we want to. Right. Um, but, but those, uh, when, when he gives us the faith, right. And he does so by, by God's word deliver through the gospel. That's why it's so important right. for us to preach the gospel, preach God's word and its truth and purity, uh, to, and, and to preach repentance and the forgiveness exactly. of sins. Because here's the deal. We don't thirst for Christ until the law has run its scorching work. <laughs> exactly. on us. You know, Let the preaching of the law bring you to the point where you are dying in the desert of thirst. Okay, where you know you you are going to die and without a drink of water, and the only thing that you, that can quench that thirst is Jesus Christ Himself dying on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. The gospel and all of its sweetness for you, not and it, it takes away the scorching wind of the law and replaces it again with Jesus Christ. Right. You know, I think that's more in line with the the quote dissatisfaction that's really being taught here in this passage in context. Right. Let's continue. All right. If you have longings and you don't know how to fill them, if you feel that nagging itch for more, come to me. All you are dissatisfied, the malcontents, the whiners, everyone who wants more, come to me. I'm your man. If you're thirsty, come right here. And the solution he offers is an interesting one. Because what a lot of people expect of Jesus is that he would offer an external religious solution. He'd say, come to me. And I'll fill your life with new religious activity that will give you meaning and purpose. But that now this is interesting. Okay, 
Um, uh, my critique, if you were to boil it down, my critique of the sermon is that it's all law, no gospel. Now, to those who attended the service who were at Granger who've been tweeting and, and blogging about my critique, they don't understand where I'm coming from. They, well, he just said it's not about religious activity. Nah. Yeah, he said it. It's not about religious activity. But if you really listen to the whole sermon, what does he put us back on to ourselves? Right. I'm, I'm going to write that down, Chris, and I'm going to come back to it and see uh, when we finish the sermon. Yeah. What, what did it boil down to? Yeah. So is, is, is it really about religious activity? Rob, are you, are you really giving us the glory of the gospel, Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, that, we, that salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone? Is that the solution that you ultimately come up with, or does this degenerate down into some kind of a religious activity that I need to be doing, right. even though he just said he doesn't? This isn't about that. Now, I call this uh, biblical sleight of hand, okay? He's distracting you, and you know it, it's like Rick Warren. It, the, the, the purpose-driven life begins with the sentence, it's not about you, and then spends the next 300-and-something pages talking only about you, you. okay? <laughs> right. So just because you say it doesn't, isn't about you doesn't mean that it's not about you. You have to judge for yourself based upon the content. So we'll come back to that. That's not what he says. He doesn't offer an external religious solution. He offers an internal supernatural solution. Look at his words in verses 38 and 39. It says, Come to me all who are thirsty, and whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, who have streams of living water flowing from where? What does it say? From where? Within. Yeah, but see, he's putting the emphasis on the wrong thing. Whoever believes in me. Yeah. What is this internal supernatural solution? Gnosticism? I, I, I put the best <laughs> construction on It's probably the idea of you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. That, okay. 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 You're, I think you're that right. better fits their theology. But, but we always talk about the gospel and externals, that, right. that God comes to us uh, through through the hearing of his word. And, mm-hmm. and you know, as Lutherans, we talk about the, the, the sacraments, that he comes to us through the waters of holy baptism or, or through the bread and wine of communion. Right. So, it comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Right. Yeah. Because so if, it, if we're totally looking inside to us uh, will never have the certainty of the gospel exactly you're right and so he's uh, circle that he doesn't offer external religious solutions he offers internal supernatural solution he says there will be streams of living water flowing from within him and by this he meant the spirit for those who believe, though, believe that right off the bat, the verse that he's doing out of context, though, teaches belief in Christ, faith, because the, the Greek word for belief, uh, what pistuo here right. is, is, you know, it's trust. It's the same thing that we get faith from. Right. Well, and, and since we're talking about the Holy Spirit, what is the job of the Holy Spirit? What's what's the one thing that the Holy Spirit always does? It convicts us of our sin and unbelief. And, and points <laughs> us to Christ. Right. I mean, so, I mean, if it's the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, then he should be doing, bring us to repentance and pointing us to Christ. Right. All right. We continue. I love how it says it in the King James. Look at it. And out of your belly, out of your belly, will flow rivers of living water. I think it's splogged. See, the, the Hebrew culture... At the time of Jesus, the the belly was the metaphor for the center of who you are, your core, your essence, the deepest place inside of you. And we also live in a culture that's obsessed with bellies and stomachs and abs. I don't know about you. I'm fed up. You can't watch TV for more than 30 minutes. Here comes another joke. (laughs) Minutes without someone asking you about your abs. 
You know, do you like your abs? Do you want better abs? Do you want ab satisfaction? We can give you the perfect abs, and I'm kind of fed up with it. It's like, leave my flabby abs. Well, you know, the joke doesn't actually help the sermon at this point. No, it doesn't. And, and you know, this isn't a big deal. It's not something I could decry or anything like that. But the the point, he was talking about the belly being the center of thing. It is true, but it's not, not like we see bellies on TV. And yeah, how many times right. in your week do you see people talk about your abs? I don't think that comes up very much for me. Yeah, well, you don't have insomnia. <laughs> okay. All right, we continue. <laughs> it's alone. Thank you very much. But I actually, I've been doing a little ab modeling lately, and I thought you guys might like to see some of my work. So he's now showing a picture of his face superimposed or photoshopped onto a bodybuilder. This is a this is a major theme of the tech department at Granger. They, they did this a lot. Yeah, man. this is an important thing. You know, it's self-deprecating humor at this right. point. It's making me feel bad about myself. Please take that down. <laughs> See, we live in a culture that offers ab satisfaction. And Jesus says, I'm, you know, I'm going just, way past the surface. Way- you know, I just realized something here. The, this goes back to kind of the show aspect of this. That, well, they do three or four services a weekend. So, which means the fourth, third or fourth time they deliver this, he still has to laugh at the joke. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, for me, laughing at Pastor Wolfmuller's jokes. It's just not really no. that funny, but you still have to laugh. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> I do that with him, too. No. <laughs> we continue. Past the six-pack. I'm talking about something at the core of who you are. And he's saying at the center of who you are, there can be this stream, this flow of life and energy and hope. It's literally like a brand new you. And you know when software comes out, there's a version 1.0. Version 1.0. It's got all the bugs in it and all the flaws in it and all the problems in it. But later on, there'll be version 2.0. And all the bugs and the flaws and the errors have been worked out of the system. And it's version 2.0. And there's this version of us as we currently are, version 1.0. And it's got a lot of errors and bugs and flaws in it. Okay, got to stop right here. This is where, again, we're going to have a little bit of a problem. Because he's right and he's wrong. Jesus does literally offer all Christians a true version 2.0 of themselves. But? But it's called the resurrection. (laughs) You have to actually die first or Christ has to come back before you get version 2.0. Right. Well, and and we receive that 2.0 only and solely based upon what Christ has done for us. Right. I mean, that, that, that is the major thing to keep in mind here, that, that what Christ did, his perfect life, his death, his, his resurrection, uh, all of that gave us 2.0. Right. And, and it comes to its completion in the resurrection. Right. And the, here's the deal. 2.0 is now and not yet. Right. Because during this, this side of the resurrection, this side of the return of Christ, this side of our deaths, um, we still struggle with our sinful nature. It, it, we, we describe it as simul justus et peccator, simultaneously justified, which means declared righteous in Jesus Christ and sinner at the same time. Right. And if you want to know what Paul's version 2.0 looked like in his life, well, we need to go to Romans chapter 7. That gives us a good picture of what it is that Paul version 2.0 looks like for a Christian. And it's not all that sexy if you um <laughs> right uh, <laughs> if you really want to talk about it let me uh, let me see do you have the passage yeah i do uh, for we know that the law is spiritual but i am of the flesh sold into bondage to sin 
For that which I am doing, I do not understand, but I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. For if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now no longer uh, am I the one doing it, but it is sin that dwells in me. Right. So uh, it doesn't sound like he's experiencing high cons- consumer satisfaction on version 2.0 of Paul. <laughs> right. <laughs> because that's Romans chapter uh, 7, verses uh, 14, 15, yeah, 16, and forward. So the life of a Christian, you, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Paul still struggled with this, and he's an apostle. Right. And just because I know, I know the common response to this. The common response to this is pre, Paul pre-Christian. It's not. It's not. Because look at, at, the, at the, the whole flow of Romans. We we're beginning with, with sin. You know, we talked about law and gospel. Yep. We see that in Paul's epistles constantly. And so we, we see the beginning of Romans starting with law. With law and then uh, we talk about baptism. Uh-huh. Baptism is uh, in chapter 6. And then so we see Paul in the midst of his Christian life. Right. And not only that, in the Greek, it's all written in present tense. Right. You know, he's not writing this as past tense. You know, saying, you know, before I became a Christian, I was this way. It's all present tense. I, as I'm writing this, am currently experiencing this. Yeah, I always hear that as the historical present. <laughs> uh, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. Anyway, so the the Christian still struggles with his sinful nature and all the the problems that we experience. And it's not that there's design flaws in or bugs in version 1.0. The fact is, is that when God made humans, He said that we were good. Okay, all things that God made were good. We perfectly reflected the image of God the way it was designed prior to the fall of man. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, human nature is now corrupted and fallen, and by nature now we are children of wrath, as we described earlier. So it's more than just, it's not some buggy software and we just need an upgrade. No, actually the solution that Christianity calls for is death and resurrection. So, yeah, there is a 2.0 version promised to those who trust in Christ purely by grace and by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that hope of version 2.0 is in the resurrection. We continue. And we and, and often we kind of feel stuck with those flaws and errors and those bugs in the system. And what Jesus is saying is I can take you to a whole new version of you. It's you 2.0. And, and you will be a qualitatively different person. And it won't just you being trying to, you know, muster up a lot of willpower to be better behaved. You say, no, no, it'll come from the core of you. Uh, is that what Paul s- described Mm-mm. in Romans 7? Nope. No. It's a new you. It, it, it's version 2.0. It's the guy. It's the person I intended you to be. I designed you. I thought you up. And look how Paul describes this in Ephesians. So he's promising these unbelievers that they can have this version 2.0. Nah, we got a problem. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and also that it's coming from the core of you. Nothing comes from the from the core of you. Now, remember, when we're talking about uh, earlier, we're talking about the spirit indwelling in you. Right. Okay? So if we're talking about the spirit, yes. But in, in proclamation of Christ. Right. That the, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, that he gives us faith through the gospel, through means, through right. the, the externals as we were talking about. Nothing comes from the inside. Uh, that's good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Any, all right. So now he's going to read to us Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 out of context. <laughs> and we're, we'll talk about that. Listen carefully. He says that this is Paul describing um, the Christian life or version 2.0. It's 2.10. He says these words. 
For we are God's workmanship. In other words, this new you, it's not even your project. It's God's project. We are his workmanship. Only God knows exactly what we look like when we are you 2.0. And look at what it says next. We were created in Christ Jesus to get to you 2.0, to do these good works for which God prepared us in advance to do. Okay, now I got to <laughs> Oh, man, this, there's a lot to unpack here. By the way, I want to remind people that Granger Community Church, when they did the reveal study... 47% of the people at Granger Community Church, 47%, that is almost half, do not believe in salvation by grace alone through faith alone. I'm, I'm going to be really blunt. There's one reason and one reason only why that, that statistic is that way is because they don't preach salvation by grace through faith alone clearly in, uh, in their preaching from the pulpit. This is a perfect example of it. Here he's reading Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and he's completely skipped verses 8 and 9. That if folks, you you people at Granger who are listening, if you really want to uh, reduce that forty seven percent of people believing in salvation by grace through faith alone down to a more manageable number, something that isn't quite that embarrassing, then tell your pastors to stop cutting out verses eight and nine, and when they get to Ephesians chapter two, okay, Ephesians chapter two verses eight, nine, and ten together say that we are saved by grace through faith and it is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man may boast. Right? Right. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now notice, okay, I'm going to point something out here. It says that we're God's workmanship to do good works. I think he's committing a little bit of a sanctification category fallacy here by good works and moralism are not synonymous. Right. Okay, so... um, but you don't get to verse 10 until you get go through 8 and 9, and he completely skipped over saved by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves, and it's the gift of God. Right. Okay? Right. You really want to reduce that number of people who don't believe in salvation by grace at Granger? Then preach verses 8 and 9 all the time. We continue. God is more concerned with you and I reaching our full maximum redemptive potential than even we are. And right now there's two... <sighs> I don't like the language there. <laughs> Versions of us. You know, there's this version 1.0 and there's this version 2.0 that we're reaching for, that we long for. And every once in a while we get a glimpse of it. Like you say the right thing at the right time to a person and it really helps them and it inspires them. And you're almost a little shocked like, wow, I said that. Or you have this idea at work and it's just the right idea and it breaks up the log jam. And, and you're like, I did that. See, that's you 2.0. Or you have this moment of... <laughs> <laughs> you're wincing <laughs> it gets worse too Keep yeah going. It, it does oh man Ugh. these are glimpses okay now glimpses here's of 2.0 yeah, by the way. but here's the deal for the 25 percent of the people that are attending granger at this particular moment who are not christians there is no glimpse of 2.0 that's true because 2.0 isn't based on our moral improvement it has to be based upon christ's sanctifying work in us Right. So an unbeliever doesn't get a glimpse of 2.0. Right. Compassion where you help somebody and you're, you're generous and, and you don't brag about it. No one else knows about it. And you have this sense like, wow, see, that's you 2.0. You, you maybe forgive an old hurt. That's you 2.0 because you feel your heart coming alive. Or you have some special skill and you fix something that's broken and there's this sense of accomplishment afterwards. That's you 2.0. We get these glimpses of it. And see, 
That's the, the person God intended you to be. He's, that's the person he designed you to be. And Jesus is saying, it is possible. And there's this current version of who we are and this version that we long to be. And, 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 and God sees that in you and Jesus. Whoa. God okay. sees it in me? It's, it's speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Right. And, and it's speaking of potentiality. Remember, we, we discussed that, um, that uh, Christ's work to live a perfect life to, to be crucified upon a cross, to die, and to, ra- to, to rise from the dead is how we obtain 2.0. And uh, this is accomplished by Christ alone. Right. And received through faith alone and, and brought to its completion on the last day. Right. Now, we were talking with – can I spoil the end here? We, we talked to the, the pastor afterward. Not, yeah. not, uh Mark Mark, Walt- Mark. Mark Waltz. And um, very very nice for him to do this. And and when we we express our concerns, the same concerns we're expressing now, he he was he, he made the the uh, concern that we, we thought that this sermon was about justification, and he said no, this is this is kind of more about sanctification. But what we have to keep in mind here is that the basis of our justification is the same basis of our justification. He's sanctification and justification, same basis. It's Christ. Right. And so, okay, so we're justified by Christ alone, but when we live out our Christian lives, you know what? We still fail to to, to live up to God's demands. Daily. And daily. And so it, we still look back to the cross of Christ for the assurance of our sanctification. Right. And this is actually somehow putting the assurance of our sanctification based upon your some ability, kind of, yeah, my ability, some kind of uh, am I seeing improvement along these lines? The reality is, is that to my neighbor, I might look like I'm morally improving. But internally, the more I study God's law and understand what it really demands of me, the less sanctified I might actually feel. Right. Or, you know, and, and uh, the more you read God's word and realize uh, that you're living up to his law even less is the more you then rely upon Christ. Exactly. And so our sanctification is still going back to that cross right. of Christ. Now, is he pointing Jesus to Jesus? Uh, is, is Rob Wagner here pointing people to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins or to Jesus as the one who sees the potential for who you can be? Now get to work. And that is the key question in discerning this sermon. Yeah, we continue. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I've got a little action figure I want to show to you. Uh, this is actually He-Man. Now, when I grew up, He-Man was a first-run cartoon. Any other He-Man fans? Did you watch He-Man growing up? Yes! Master of the universe. Here's a close-up. Look at this guy. I mean, he is cut. He is buff. He is a tank. He's so awesome, he wears a fur loincloth. And he makes it look good, you know? And, and about five years ago, uh, my oldest daughter, Madeline, she was maybe five or six years old at the time. For a birthday present, she gave me this He-Man action figure. Now, she didn't know I grew up watching He-Man, so I was wondering, like, why did she get this for me? So I asked her, I said, honey, this is a really special gift. Why did you pick this out for Daddy? And she said the truest words I've ever heard. She said, I got this for you, Daddy, because he looks just like you. And now we have the Photoshop department is superimposing his face on this He-Man action figure. Apparently, he really has... um dreams of being cut and buff i think so that's a yeah yeah i wonder what freud would say about this (laughs) (sighs) and i'm gonna wear the fur loincloth next week so come back it's gonna be awesome it's the only in the eyes of my daughter can uncut unbuffed guy named robbie man master of the universe she doesn't just see me as I am. She sees so much more. 
And that's exactly how Jesus sees you. Oh, got to be careful there because what does Christ see us as? Sinners yeah. <laughs> in need of a Savior. Right. It's a, what does it say in Romans? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Right. And if you want to, we were talking earlier about Simon Usus Epicotter. I mean, yeah. it, if you want to play the saint then, uh, it, in Christ, God looks at us. And because of what Christ has done, being baptized into his name, right. he sees a perfect human being not because i'm perfect or i'm even heading towards it but because i've been given the righteousness of christ as a gift right okay so here you have these two extremes in in, in this simple latin term you have uh you're either a a terrible sinner uh, enemy of god or you have the perfection of christ clothed upon you there's no uh middle ground there's no process there's no potentiality there's no ability involved in that it's either saint or sinner right and in this life it's both right and it's not that jesus sees potential in me right. at all let me let me read to you this idea that if what that god sees us as perfect in christ that we see this clearly in philippians chapter 3 uh, starting in verse 3, it says, uh, For we are the circumcision who, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is important. This is one of the major themes of Scripture, not putting confidence in the flesh. For I, though I myself, the Apostle Paul writes, have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. You can hear him going, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Okay? Talk about somebody who was living potential. Yeah. Okay? But here's what he says. Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ and is the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Right, and and Paul here is is writing to a church, so these are... Christians reading this message of Paul. And right. So, you Paul's know. not ta- pointing them to their potential. <laughs> right. He's pointing them to, to consider their good works as rubbish, that they may be found having not a righteousness of their own, but the righteousness of Christ. Right. And and so this, here we have this. Th- this is the great irony of ironies, that we have uh, the teaching here at Granger Community Church is that, that Jesus sees your potential, so it's really faith. And works put together, right? It, which it, is which is reminds us of what teaching of what church body? Galatian Church, right? Yeah, or I, I was even of the, of the modern of, of the medieval Reformation. Yeah, Rome uh, yeah. being Rome, and so here you have a, a, a you know Protestantism who just decries the teachings of, of the Roman Catholic Church, but in their theology and their teaching, it's ex- exactly the same teaching. Yep. Now, don't be playing any of those theological games with me here oh. on this program. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to play which ladder because yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, we continue. He doesn't just see who you are with all your flaws and your errors and bugs in the system. There's a you 2.0 that he designed you for. And he alone is the power and the grace and the wisdom. This is infused grace. Uh, yeah, right. This is this is Speaking Roman. Of Rome. Ca- this is Roman <laughs> Catholic theology. Right. This is infused grace, which is completely different than uh, imputed righteousness and, decla- and, and uh, you know, the declared justification. Right. You know, 
forensic is the is the word I was looking for. So this he's describing Roman Catholic doctrine here of infused grace. Right. And so yeah, so that that teaching was a uh, that in our baptism, Rome taught that you're kind of given a clean slate, and then yeah. you're ready to, to kind of work up to a yeah. to with good works and moral living. But no, and and the whole basis of the Reformation is that that Luther said that that we are declared righteous based on what Christ has done by grace through faith alone. Right. And and so in that, if if we're declared, if there's a okay, if we're in court. And as someone you're declared guilty, and someone says, "No, no, no I'm going to take that that person's penalty for me. He can have have you know my innocence." That's a declaration, right? And there's no process involved at all, right? And, and by that, the way, that's justification and sanctification. It has nothing to do with potential, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, because under the law, I, I'm guilty, <laughs> right? So I have to be declared righteous because I can't work off my karmic debt at this point, right? And we continue. To take you there. And it starts with recognizing where we're at. And I wonder if we could just do a mass confession. How many of you would admit that right now there's a gap between you 1.0 and you 2.0? Would you just, would you admit that? Now, this is a wimpy confession, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard several confessions of sins in my time on this planet. This is, now, would you confess that there's a, this actually a does, this isn't a real confession. In sales lingo, I used to be a vice president of sales and marketing. Um, in sales lingo, we call this a tie-down, okay? As part of the sales process, what you're trying to get somebody to do is agree with you on particular things so that you can close the sale. This is not a real confession of sins. This is a marketing ploy called a tie-down. Mm-hmm. Well, and when we confess our sins, we're confessing that we are guilty for not doing the things that we're supposed to do and for doing the things we're not supposed to do. Right. And so... Here, the, this confession, if you even want to call it that, is just that, eh, we're not where we would really like to be. Yeah, or, I'm not perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah I but mean, I mean, but God, does, you know, well, confess what you've done against God. You've transgressed. Right. You guys is, are sinners. Now, is we this, are sinners. Is this leading to true repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, which is what we're called to proclaim by Jesus Christ Himself? No, it's not. It's not. Okay, how many of you are doing pretty well, but the person next to you has an alarming gap that you're really concerned about? Oh, the Pharisees. Wow, some hands shot right off. (laughs) Yeah, we are all in this thing together. And we're in this journey into the purposes of God. We're reading Purpose Driven Life together. And this week's purpose is the purpose of growth. How do we become like Jesus? And not just much... Uh, Through the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Through God's declaration, through Christ. Right. String up willpower and trying harder to have a better behaved version of us. But the the YouTube... Notice he's talking about, he, he on the one hand, he's saying this isn't about you having a better behaved version of you. But then it comes back to having a better behaved version of you. <laughs> 0.0, the brand new you that Jesus said can come from the core of you. So that your instinctual response isn't anger but patience. Your instinctual re- response isn't selfishness but selflessness. It, well, that, again, Romans 7. Paul says the things I don't want to do, I do. So even at the Apostle Paul, his instinctual response was still sin. Right. <laughs> <sighs> your instinctual response isn't fear but courage. What would it be like to live down here? You t- so if you don't have this instinctual response, then maybe you're just not a real Christ follower. That's yeah. their term. You, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Where does this ultimately end? It could end in despair. Right. And, th- and th- that's essentially what happened. You, you mentioned earlier that this is an all-law sermon. And I think 
we're kind of getting to that based on the terms we defined earlier at the beginning, law and gospel. Right. If, if, if we're talking about what we're expected to do, then this is a law sermon. Right. I'm expected to have an instinctual response that, you know, I, that I don't, I react a particular way under stress. Or because what? you have potential. Right. But, uh, th- so a law sermon like this, an all law sermon is going to give you one of two, two responses. Either you're going to go, uh, be a Pharisee thing that you actually pulled it off. You're actually pulling off 2.0. I'm, you know, living that life that God expects of me, which isn't true. Right, because I sin daily and much. Right, and that, that was the problem with the Pharisees. Yeah. They, they thought they were pulling it off. They're taming the law. They're basically t- they're trying to make the law t- doable. Right, right, and which is probably the reason some of them don't identify it as a law sermon is because they're, they've tamed it so much. <laughs> right. that... Listen, we take, we've taken, we've declawed the law. We <laughs> took its teeth out. It can only gum you and beat you and bat you around <laughs> a little bit. It's, it's a far less dangerous and more user-friendly version of the law. Right. But it's the law. <laughs> so the Phariseeism is, is one. The other one is, though, is, is the sadder one, is, is the despair. Right. And so someone realizes, you know, I really, I really haven't lived the 2.0 life that I'm supposed to, that God expects of me. Right. Is, and so I'm just lost in my despair that, that God has uh, his, his crosshairs aimed on me, and rightly so, but to leave a person in that condition right. uh, is, is not the work of the church. Right. 2.0, we see glimpses, and we want it. We can get there. You know, I've been a pastor for about 16 years, going on 17 years. And I've noticed something that sort of actually disturbed me. And it's this, that there's a comparatively small number of people that make really big progress moving from U 1.0 to U 2.0. Ouch. Now, this is, this is even adding more despair to despair. There's a comparatively small number of people who make the transition. <laughs> Now, I experienced this in, in the Nazarene church. We called it second blessing holiness. Right. Okay, where you receive some special infusion of the, of the Holy Spirit, like, you know, an anointing of the Holy Spirit, where that would kick your, your sanctification into overdrive. And anybody who had experienced the second blessing of holiness, they were marched out in front of the church and told how much holier they were. Really? And that if you, if you sincerely ask God for this special blessing, you can do it. So it was a, tier, a two-tiered Christianity, and I, re, I liken it to the star-bellied sneeches. You know, uh, from uh, Dr. Seuss, you know, because, you know, the, the star-bellied sneeches were better than the, the ones that didn't have stars. <laughs> so did you get a star on your belly then? Uh, <laughs> well, believe me, I, I did my best to convince people that I had because I didn't want to be in the lower group. Oh, yeah. You know, and that just made me even more self-righteous and pharisaical. Right. We continue. I've noticed that there's a comparatively small number of people that make a stratospheric leap to where... Others sort of look on and go, this isn't a person just trying harder. They're a different type of person. And, and who's doing that? They are. Yeah. They're, they're not just trying harder. They're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> they can see the grace of God just transforming them. And it's not this like forced thing. It's just coming from the very core of their belly. And I see a lot of us sort of spending most of the time circling down at this end of the continuum. You one. Now, the really sarcastic side of me, I look at Rob and go, I don't believe for a second that you really are pulling off 2.0. You know, 
Well, because you know what 2.0 is, is he described it. And so, who is? Yeah, the answer, Christ says, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is is perfect. And if you really think you're pulling off this U2.0, you need to meditate on the Ten Commandments a lot more and what exactly that means. Right. So let's check up so far. He, He said that... Uh, he, that Jesus doesn't give us any religious activity. Are we are we hearing about any religious activity yet? Yes, we are. Yeah. Okay. This stratospheric change that you're supposed to do. Right. So we'll we'll keep coming back to that as the sermon goes on. Okay. Out. Some frustration, with some discouragement, uh, and sometimes there's like a, a burst forward, but then we just feel like we sort of fall back to that end of the continuum. And as a pastor, this is my my life's work. It's almost become like a a good sort of obsession with me to say, now, why is that? Why is it, why is it that comparatively few people make that stratospheric leap? What's Oh, man. <laughs> what, what did he say his job was? <laughs> to, to, to his why. job is to preach the gospel. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Yeah, sorry, I, I'm being too <laughs> biblical here. Uh, preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of... The, did I mention the forgiveness of sins? I remember something about yeah, that. Yeah, okay. The righteousness of Christ by faith. Hmm. Paul, I mean, Paul could have said, look at the stratospheric leap that I made. I was, <laughs> yeah. I was blameless under the law. He says, I yeah. consider all that rubbish right. so that I might be found in Christ not having a righteousness of my own. Right. Going on, I've spent a lot of time reading and studying and, and, and talking with people and analyzing my own life because I, I want to make that stratospheric leap. I long for it. Just like apparently he hasn't done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so are you an expert in this 2.0 thing or not? <laughs> you long for it. I feel that unsatisfied desire just like you feel it. And you're the pastor? <laughs> this isn't this is not creating any customer assurance that the product you're selling actually works. Yeah. Now, now think about the good news of it to to just preach that that Jesus made that leap for you. Yes. And he gives it, gives it to you as a free gift. Right. If they would only proclaim that. Right. You know, when I met with Rick Warren, that's one of the things I talked to him about is, you know, I, I, I went back to his, uh, his Christmas sermon of a couple of years ago where he said that Jesus Christ came so that you can have a mulligan. And I said, Rick, I said, Jesus Christ didn't come to give us a mulligan. A mulligan's a do-over. If I play golf and I, and I swing and I, and I shank the ball off into the woods and I take a mulligan, which, by the way, is not legal in golf. Okay. Uh, it's not honorable to do that. But if, if, I, if I claim a mulligan, who has to hit the ball? I do. You do yeah. I'm still responsible for getting it on the fairway. The gospel teaches us not that Jesus Christ is giving us a do-over or a mulligan, but that Jesus shot the perfect round of golf for us and... And is giving us his scorecard as if it's our own. <laughs> and so what was Warren's response to that? Well, that's a really Lutheran answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the Christian answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we continue. And, and over, over time, I'm beginning to learn some things. I, I'm not an expert by any means. In fact, I kind of have two mentors. One is named Dallas Willard. The other one is John Ortberg. And oh, man. Willard is bad news, man. Willard is uh, it's it's spiritual disciplines, and it's not based on the means of grace. It's it's this idea that you know the the celebration of the disciplines, you 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 know solitude, journaling, and things like that, that somehow make draw you closer to God. It's almost like a you know, just invent whatever you want. And then God will somehow sanctify you through that. Nordberg buys into this stuff too. I heard him at the Reveal conference, and it was bad stuff. Hmm. So we continue. 
And if you're interested in studying more, I'd love to recommend some books. You can come up and talk to me afterwards. But a lot of what I'm learning today, I've learned from them, and it's really shaped my thinking. And I want to get at... It's all law. It's not gospel. Not a long list today. I want to talk about one characteristic I see in those that make stratospheric leaps to U2.0. It's one thing I see that they, they all have in common. And then I want us to kind of look at our lives to see where we're at when it comes to that one trait. And oh, so we're going to compare ourselves to the person pulling off version 2.0 rather than to the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what I see. People that make stratospheric leaps towards U2.0, they say it in different ways, but they'll, they'll always say something like this. I got to a point in my life where I just decided that this man Jesus... He was so right. He was so intelligent. The information that he has about God and about life and how to live it, I just decided I would be a fool not to drop everything. What does, what does Jesus use for? He has the information about what is right about life and how to live it? Yeah. So here they're taking Jesus to be the uh, all-star example of how to live life. Right. Uh, instead of being the one who gave life through his perfect life and death again this this is no gospel this is law this turns jesus into basically a confucius another moses right you know oh boy Nothing else and pursue that for all i was worth they say words like that they speak about this intentionality in their life they have this unforced conviction and and the church didn't hype it up for it for them it's they arrived there on their own and they have this sort of tenacity this total devotion not in a a uh, suicide bomber, freaky sort of way. And well, well, that's assuring. I mean, <laughs> thank God for that. Is this that core belly thing kicking in that I, we were talking I, about? Apparently, this total. I want to know what total devotion to Jesus looks like. I would want to know what that looks like too. I mean, Martin Luther tried it inside of a monastery. Yeah, I, I think I recall um, him going to his father confessor over. And over uh-huh. and over and saying, wait, wait, there's still some sins I've left, left to confess. Yeah. yeah. He, 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 Martin Luther in a monastery couldn't even achieve total devotion to Christ. Right. And see, that that's the whole point. That, that if we're going to d- devote our lives fully to Jesus, we're never going to accomplish it. Right. But Jesus devoted his life totally to the Father for us. Right. Uh, we continue. In fact, they don't even see themselves as super saints. They'll say things like, you know, I don't have a perfect faith. I have a lot of unanswered questions. But on this one thing, I am certain. When it comes to healing the gap and closing the gap, it is Jesus and no one else. There's no other. What does that mean? Healing the gap and closing the gap? Is that the gap between my righteousness and the, what the law demands? Uh, 1.0 and 2.0. I, oh, okay. I yeah, all right. Yeah. Sorry. I was thinking Mormon theology. Jesus Christ. <laughs> right. You're saved by grace through faith after everything you can yeah, do. Yeah, you can do, right. That's Mormon theology. Let's continue. Their alternative. And they have this sort of single-mindedness. It's, they've seen the vision of, of you 2.0, but they've given up on, like, the self-help program. And- they've given up on the self-help program, yet the very thing you're telling <laughs> us to do is self-help. self-help. <laughs> oh, man. And, and they've, they've got this intentionality, this devotion to Jesus, this trust that's really astounding. And I want to get at that today. And I want to get at it by asking one simple question that I want us to carry with us, not just today, but this whole week. And it's this simple question. And I've been asking myself this question a lot. Am I a fan 
of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? Okay, by the way, this distinction is a very dangerous distinction. Am I a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? There, There is no such distinction in Scripture. You're either a believer in Jesus or you're an unbeliever. You either have faith or you don't have faith. Those are the Christian biblical distinctions. Right. Uh, and so remember when I said, uh, if you ask the wrong question, you're going to get, get the, the wrong, wrong answer. answer. Yeah. A point in case. I, I wrote some more of these questions. Um, am I a sinner or a saint? Uh-huh. The answer is... Both. Yes. <laughs> and I like this one better. Am I an enemy of Jesus or am I a hare or a partaker of Jesus? Uh, both. Yes. Yeah. And, and so am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? How do you answer that? Yeah. I mean, you're, they're not at opposites like these others. Right. So, um, and we'll li- I don't know. We'll li- we'll listen carefully to how he defines fan versus follower. Yeah. Let me explain it this way. You've all heard of Michael Phelps. The guy is a specimen. A specimen. He's a phenom. I mean, he's shattered all these world records. I think he had eight gold medals. And he has millions of admirers. In fact, Facebook says that during the Olympics, they added about 5 million users to Facebook that they credit to Michael Phelps because he said he's on Facebook and all these people are like, I want to be his friend. Click, 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 click. He's got a lot of admirers. And I know he had the issue with like the pot and the bong, but I'm talking uh, strictly. Yeah, this is that little problem there. I mean, other than that, he's 2.0, baby. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. Back in the old day, pastors would say, Sin. <laughs> you know, I would hear just, about the demon of us drug use. Just ignore that little, you know, yeah. pot bong thing. Yeah. In terms of athleticism, you can't help but admire the guy. He's amazing. I mean, he'll shatter a world record. He'll pop up, and it's like he didn't even break a sweat. The guy's amazing. He was in the water. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, do you sweat underwater? I thought he was sweating a lot. Yeah, you know. If he were swimming in dry land, he would be sweating. <laughs> Sorry. Now, I would venture to guess that since the Olympics, there aren't a whole lot of us that have got into the pool and started swimming laps every day. Am I right? Yeah, I haven't. Me neither. In fact, I have to admit to you guys, I I tried to do competition swimming, and uh, well, let me, here's how it came about. I, three years ago, I signed up for my first triathlon, and on the running part and the cycling part, I'm good to go. I love running. I love cycling. But swimming, I'd actually never learned any swim technique in my whole life, so I was basically the equivalent of an orangutan in the water. I mean, it was pitiful. But I have a friend, James Kidda. He was the swim coach at Adams for years. He took them to state multiple times. He knows more about physical conditioning and swimming technique than anyone else I know. And so I asked him, I said, James, would you give me some time? Could you just show me at least how to swim? Give me, give me some exercises. And he, he was glad to do it. So for a summer, he was Mr. Miyagi and I was the karate kid. And we did life together, and he'd get together with me sometimes three times a week. He'd meet me at Mirrorfield Park at the pool there, and Dr. Bob said I could swim in this pond that was out behind his house that no one's ever swam in before, but I did. His neighbors looked on like, what in the world? And, uh, and we get- It's hard to do a flip turn in a pond, by the way. I used to swim competitively. Huh. Yeah. Back when I was skinny. You needed Mr. Miyagi then. Right. You know. <laughs> uh, wax on. Wax on. <laughs> get up early in the morning. We meet at like, you know, 6 a.m., and he, it was like, you know, Rocky and the coach, I'd be swimming and be like, come on, Robbie, come on, Robbie. And I'd pop up, you know, after swimming up. Women's weakened legs. Come on, Robbie. <laughs> Bunch of laps, like more laps than I've ever swam before. My lungs are burning. I'm crying out for oxygen. My head would pop up and he'd say things like, come on, Rob, you got two more laps in you. 
And I'd say, okay, James, but inside I was saying bad words to him. Just Which, by the way, demonstrates his sinful nature. Ah. Uh, you know, because we sin in thought, word, and deed. <laughs> right. He's sinning in thought right there. Uh-huh. As if that's not a big deal. I guess not. It's not very 2.0-ish of him. No, that's in fact that's like we're back to beta version now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, this, I'm sorry, we might need to return the software. It's too buggy. <laughs> it's like the the blue screen crashes you get all the time. It's like it, not even usable. Yeah, oh. yeah. Let's continue. Evil things. <laughs> and I got to tell you, if it weren't for James, I I don't think I would have finished the swim portion. I mean, it, it took everything in me. And, I, and it dramatically increased my time. But i got to confess to you, I love James. And, and I love the fact that I finished the triathlon. But when I got done, I was like, I'm never training on swimming again. I hated it. And the next year, I started these things called adventure races. And they're, they're like 12 or 14 hours long. And there's all these different events in it. But the reason I signed up with my buddy, here was my first question. Do we have to swim? He said, no. I'm like, all right, I'm in. Let's do it. And I bet most of us, since the Olympics, we haven't started training. I mean, I was inspired by Michael Phelps, but I didn't go back into the pool. But I tell you what, somewhere, there's some kid. And when you watch Michael Phelps swim, something happened inside of him. His heart started pounding. His mind started racing. And he had this crazy idea. I think I can do what he did. And every day since then... Uh, does he need Jesus to be inspired by Michael Phelps to do that? That well, this is what drives me nuts about this. It, he comes back into it over and over that this it's like this internal power just kind of pops up and goes, oh, "I want to be like Michael, Michael Phelps now," or "I want to be the two point right. Where is this coming from? It's not in the Bible. Oh, you're being pharisaical and judgmental. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> you're going to kill someone. <laughs> that kid's been focused. He's been watching videos of Michael Phelps swim. He's reading articles about swim technique. He's got a coach now. He's in the pool every day swimming laps. And mark my words, eight years from now, 12 years from now, there will be some young man who will have all these gold medals draped around his neck. And when they say, why, how, he'll say why. And out of the many hundreds of thousands of swimmers, there's only going to be one of them. This isn't really assuring for salvation. Because <laughs> <laughs> statistically, it sounds like it's pretty much against the me. The odds are against you, yeah. 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 One name, Michael Phelps. And when that happens, remember my message. You say, oh, you know, the preacher said that was going to happen. See, there is someone right now, some kid somewhere, and he's not an admirer of Michael Phelps. He's a follower. He's walking in the way of Michael Phelps, and there's a huge law this actually comes back to religious activity does it not <laughs> the thing he said it wasn't based on right okay yeah, okay difference between a fan and a follower see a fan is impressed a follower is devoted a fan applauds a follower surrenders to a way of life see a lot of ouch surrenders to a way of life yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, fine. Okay. Surrenders to a way of life. But do you do that in every way God expects you to do so? Uh, my problem is I don't. I need a savior because uh, uh, I I've surrendered in the fact that He's given me repentance and faith for the forgiveness of my sins. But how that plays out, it's just terribly marred and broken and feeble and. 
not 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 so impressive. Yeah, and again, I have to go back to these you know these little other ones, these funny ones that I wrote. Am I an enemy of Jesus or am I a, a partaker of Jesus or whatever you want to put in there, saint or sinner, whatever? To am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? Right. Uh, how how can you be? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are, I guess you could say a fan. It's kind of a cheesy illustration, but a fan. But there's no one that's a fan of Jesus that isn't a follower because now, if you don't have faith in, in God, then you yeah, are but, a hater of God. You're see, his that's, enemy. That's the missing ingredient, faith and trust. It's He mentions it ever so slightly. It comes in – I call them beef sprinkles. You know, it, where you, or the or the gospel nugget that kind of flies in and flies out. These, but they're not coherent thoughts, and he's not centering on the gospel and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I I did catch a time where he mentioned faith. He was talking about the people who made this leap, and he said, right. "Oh, but they don't have perfect faith, but they but they have trust." That's astounding. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm I'm so confused what faith is to him, right? Because he's not he's not defining it biblically. He's right. actually muddying up biblically the terms because trust is faith biblically. And and this is, I think, I'm going to venture out on a, uh, a guess how we're defining faith here, and I'm willing to take the blame if I'm completely wrong. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of times when you hear these these preachers talk about faith, they're actually talking about faith that is actually works. Yes, because. Uh, they don't have perfect faith, meaning that they're not doing everything right yet, but yet well, what I have Rick, a trust. What does Rick Warren say? It takes more than faith to please God, to exactly. really please God. It takes a faith that yeah, – that's. And so you can see why, why he would say that if uh-huh. he's viewing faith as actually a work. Right. And see here's – and this is the tragedy of the whole thing is, is that he doesn't really understand just how glorious the gospel is. He exactly. doesn't understand the sweetness of the good news because he's really – he really doesn't understand the depravity of his sinful nature. Right. And so we, when we are, we need to define our terms here because if we're going to say, oh, yeah, we're saved by faith alone, they're thinking, oh, yeah, I, I, be- I agree with that. That's fine. Yeah. Well, what does it mean? Yeah. <laughs> faith is a complete gift by the Holy Spirit given to us through the gospel only because of what Christ has done. Right. You know, if, if faith is, is what grasps on to the works of Christ. And, again, it's a gift. I can't stress that enough. It's good. We're completely passive in receiving, receiving right. faith. Now, this is a motivational pep talk to get you to try harder. Right. This is not – this is not a gospel presentation of Jesus as the solution to your sinful and wretched condition. Right. Different, different thing altogether. And yet, even in sanctification, that's the message we need to hear. Exactly. We continue. People followed, or rather a lot of people admired Martin Luther King. Some people marched with him. Not many went to jail, and very few had their homes bombed out like him. Millions of people have admired Mother Teresa. Not many people followed her to live among the destitute and the dying. And Jesus has so many admirers, millions of admirers. In fact, after the Sermon on the Mount, which in my opinion were the most brilliant words ever uttered on planet Earth, it talks about the response of the crowd. And look at it with me here in Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. It says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were what? amazed. They were admirers. They were fans. They'd never heard teaching like this before. The whole crowd admired Jesus. I I do something whenever these types of things occur. Hang on. Let me turn this effect up. Here we go. Adventures in missing the point. 
Oh, man. <laughs> I think you've missed the whole point. <laughs> we continue. They were in awe of his life and his teaching, but let me tell you something. Something happened in the hearts of a few. Oh, wow. I, I got to give up on Christianity. I, I may not. I, I just. It doesn't naturally happen. I guess I'm just not. I'm not saved. I, I, yeah. That would be the logical conclusion. Someone yeah. being honest about themselves yeah. would have to come to. And their hearts started pounding, and their minds started racing, and they looked at Jesus, and they said, This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. They saw the pop. No, he is who I've been waiting for. <laughs> Not this. He. Did you, did you see that? That was awesome. <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> Possibility of you 2.0 inside of Jesus, in his life, his presence, his power, his teaching. And something happened inside of them. And they stayed. Yes, Jesus' stump speech, by the way, was repent to believe the good news for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was also one who preached repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Whoa, I'm feeling it. Wow, dude. <laughs> Jesus, I, you just see Jesus up there, you know, with sunglasses on going, dude, you want to experience life 2.0? <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm your way, man. Uh. <laughs> You feel it? No. Feeling it yet? No, 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 I'm not. (laughs) Stepped out of the crowd. They moved beyond admiration, and they started stepping into what I would call... No, anybody who follows Jesus moves from unbelief to belief, from lack of no faith to trust. He's describing this based on behavior. Devotion. And there was something inside of them that said, I would rather have what this man has and give up everything else in the world. Then to have everything... Yeah, well, actually, the crowd left Jesus. Remember John chapter 6? He said such terrible things. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no you have no status in the kingdom. And they're going, ooh. <laughs> and what happens? Everyone leaves. And one of the apostles, you know, Jesus says, are you going to leave too? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? we go? You right. have the words of eternal life. Which makes me wonder about... You know, preaching so the crowds will adore you. Jesus himself didn't follow that example. No, he didn't. In fact, where was the crowd on the day he was crucified? They were yelling, crucify him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They weren't at the, the foot of the cross going, what, what have we done? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Where were, his, where were his fans and followers then? They weren't so astonished anymore. Yeah. Think else in the world and give up this man. And I'll pay the price. I'll do what it takes. I'll go where he says I will go. I will do what he says I can do. I will be who he says I can be. I want him. Be all that you can be. Because we need you in Jesus' army. Okay, let's have a religious activity check. Yeah. Any religious activity I being preached here? a lot of it. I'm yeah. beginning to feel like I don't quite measure up. That first-person pronoun came in a lot those last, uh-huh. that last clip. Yeah. It's not Jesus for you. It's you, 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 yeah. you, you, you. <laughs> and they moved from fan to follower. And they said, as of today, I'm leaving the crowd. I'm not just a fan. I'm not just an admirer anymore. I want to be fully devoted. And they move. Yeah, the big problem with this metaphor is, is it's not there in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. I hate that when you're trying to make a point that's not in the Bible. Yeah. Oh, it's so frustrating. From admiration to devotion. And Jesus knew his life, his presence, his teaching would impact people this way. And he was constantly inviting admirers of him to move from admiration to devotion. 
Look at this example here in John chapter 3. There's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and we're told in the text that he came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could do these miracles if God were not with them. In other words, he's a huge fan of Jesus. He's like, can I be your friend on Facebook? You're awesome. You must be from God. No one can do the things that you're doing. But notice it says that he came by night. Now, why do you think he came by night? Well, look at what it says of him. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. In other words, he is entrenched as a high-status member in the religious institution that Jesus is poking all sorts of holes in. And he knows, I'm risking my reputation by associating myself with Jesus in any way. He's a huge admirer, but he comes on the down low at night because he doesn't want to risk his status. It's just too dangerous to risk that. You, you do understand. I just want to let our listeners know that when we finally get to the punchline of this, we're going to have to beat up Rob. Because <laughs> he's, he's going to miss like the most important part of this passage. And uh, uh, here we go. Admires Jesus, but look what Jesus does. He invites him to move out of admiration to devotion. Look at it. No, he doesn't. <laughs> no, he doesn't. You know what he does? He invites him to be born again. Yeah, there's, and, and like you can do that on your own. <laughs> you know, there's this there's this funny thing that when, when people quote the scriptures out of context, the point that they're making is usually the opposite of what the scripture actually says. Exactly. You see that all the time. You would do better just to shut up and, <laughs> and just preach the straight text and not comment on it at all. We continue. His words in verse 3. He says, Nick. Demas, if you want what I've got, you must be born again. In other words, become my follower. Allow. Wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute. What, what translation does he have? He just he went. He actually isogeted that. He just on the cuff just threw that into the text. Oh my. Okay, let me read you what chapter three, or three verse three actually says. Oh, you're just straining at gnats. <laughs> Jesus answered and said to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right. He doesn't tell him to become a follower. He says to be born again. Can you can you birth yourself again? Did they talk about this in the debriefing? I don't know. Apparently, they don't do theological uh, work in the debriefing. <laughs> we might want to have to offer this as a service to them, completely free of charge. <laughs> I, I want to. This can't go without saying the, the next I mean, four and then five. Truly, truly, I say to you, lest he is born of water and the, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Right. Jesus isn't telling him to be a follower. He's telling him to be born again. Yeah. Th- this is being. This is talking about baptism, being born in the water and the Spirit. Yeah. The two are not divided. Right. It's talking about repentance and faith. It's talking about faith coming through the word of God. You know, this is not somebody saying, okay, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. Jesus, I've made a decision. I'm now born again. And that's the great irony. The next thing Nick to me says, how can I do this? Can I get put in my mother's womb again? And she says, no, it's not about what you can do. It's about (laughs) what I can do do, What I can do to you. Oh, man. He's not saying, all right, 2.0, here we come. Oh, wow. I can't believe he picked that text for this point because the text, (laughs) it teaches the exact opposite of what he just said. I know. Wow. Tell me to remake you, publicly identify with me. And you know what's interesting about Nicodemus? He did move out of the crowd. In fact, after... Maybe Jesus gave him rebirth. I just, you know, just a thought. Now look what Nicodemus did. What a guy, huh? Yeah, no, it's like... Oh, man, look what Jesus did. (laughs) Oh, man. Jesus was crucified. 
He was the one who stepped out of the crowd and he claimed Jesus' body and provided a tomb for him. In other words, he risked everything. He risked his reputation, his status, his livelihood. He moved from admiration to devotion. No, he, were, he went from being dead to alive, from being a sinner to being declared a saint. He went from not believing to trusting in Christ. He went from being dead to being born again. These are the categories that the Bible deals with, and you're not dealing with those categories, Rob. Yeah. There's another young man. Look at this story. The rich young ruler. That's what he's become known as. And look in Mark 10. It says this. It's Jesus. Oh, this is, see, this, Mark 10, the rich young ruler is one that you've got to handle carefully because you have to understand law and gospel to correctly deal with it. You know, in, in Mark 10, you've got this rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What was your point earlier? You ask bad questions, you get bad answers. Right. Okay, it's a dumb question in the sense that you don't earn an inheritance. Inheritance is, you know, something that's given to you as a gift when somebody dies. It's bequeathed to you. And he's wanting to know what he's got to do. So he's already thinking he's got to save himself. And he's thinking himself to be righteous. Because, after all, he kept all the commandments from the time he was a kid. <laughs> all the commandment stuff, that's baby stuff. <laughs> we continue. He started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, he... Now picture this, he's in the crowd, and he bursts out of the crowd, and he literally drops down on his knees before Jesus. This has got to be the ultimate position of admiration. He's like, I am your number one fan, I am the president of your fan club. And then he says to him, I see this life in you, version 2.0. Okay, now, do you notice, again, later when we talked to Pastor Mark there, he he was critical of us. We weren't really making this point, but he thought we were making the point that uh, we were asserting that the sermon, the whole sermon, was about justification. Right. And, and so he said, "No, no, it wasn't about justification. It was about sanctification." Yeah. But, but the what two is, verses he's he's pointed has been talking about the kingdom of God. Justification. <laughs> he, you're right. He's messing. Oh man, t- don't tell me this isn't about justification. <laughs> justification is all well, lack of. Yeah. It, you know, justification by works <sighs> of life. And he says, I got to have it. I want it. And I think he meant it to the core of his being. How, how can I have this life that I see in you, Jesus? He said, how, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was wanting to know the thing that he was not doing yet to, you know, to have that assurance. Because the law doesn't assure you because you, you sin. I don't have core of your being in my in my my Bible. Oh, you're just being nitpicky. Again. <laughs> What's wrong with you? I mean, we we live in the the world of the message paraphrase. You just, whatever you want in the Bible, just stick it in. Man, Who cares? I, I know I've harped on this like four times already, but this this inner being that, that was the exact teaching of the, of Gnosticism. Yeah, that that you would have this this inner enlightenment yeah, of, yeah, yeah. And, yep. and so to th- that's the exact reason that 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 god gives us his gifts in externals right the extra nose yes read Irenaeus, by the way you know yeah. against heresies great book against the gnostics by right. the way we continue and jesus invites him out of admiration into devotion no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Oh, my goodness. Are we reading the same Bible? Okay. And see, obviously, this rich young ruler had been hanging around Jesus. He'd been watching him, listening to his teaching. And his admiration was growing and growing to the point where he burst out of the crowd and fell on his knees before him. But Jesus obviously knew him, too, because there was a sticking point. 
And look at what Jesus says to him. Yeah, the sticking point is, is he thought he was righteous, and Jesus shows that he's actually an idolater. The, what's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Yeah, does that include riches and everything? Else? I think it does. Okay. Anything you fear, love, and trust in God uh, above God. You can jump down there to the end. He says, "There's one thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions." In other words, radically change your lifestyle. Oh man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> now we're talking. So that was the one thing that he just needed to do. If he had just done that, then he would have been saved by his works because he would have gone from 1.0 to 2.0. Hmm. And see, if this is really the solution, then that's the solution that applies equally to all of us. Then, right? If you haven't gone and sold all of your things and you know given to the poor and then following Jesus. You are not really a 2.0 guy no. or now, gal. Now, see, if, if you're going to say that, if you're going to say that you, you have this rich man ruler coming and saying, well, what, do I, what do I do to, uh, uh, to in- inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus here says, he, he says that you have to sell all your things because he knew his idolatry. He, he knew right. the very thing. But if you're going to say that what Jesus was saying here is not calling him to repentance essentially but rather that there was actually Jesus was actually giving him something to do then you cannot say that you believe in in uh, salvation by faith alone right you can it, no longer say that no cuz if you believe right if you misinterpret this it tells us everything about what you believe about justification if Jesus was giving him the one thing that he needed to do in order to be saved then you don't believe in salvation by grace through faith alone and remember 47% is that what you right? Forty seven percent. Forty seven percent of the people at Granger don't believe in salvation by grace through faith alone. And it's specifically because of this type of preaching. Exactly. We continue. Are you gonna trust money or are you gonna trust me? I know you admire me, but are you gonna trust money or are you gonna trust me? And it says that this guy his his face was sad and he turned around and he walked away because he admired Jesus greatly, but following Jesus was gonna interfere with his financial life. And that's where he drew the line. And Jesus does this with people. He invites people out of admiration into devotion. And he wasn't trying to beat this guy down or give him a guilt trip or prove to him that he wasn't good enough. Actually, that's exactly what Jesus was doing. (laughs) He was beating him down with the law to show him he wasn't good enough and that he was an idolater because he thought he said that he was keeping the commandments from the time he was a kid. Right. And again, we have we have this language of Jesus extending invitations. I mean, if you again, you can't use this language of invitation and still proclaim uh, faith by grace alone. Right. You just can't. Yeah, and he's inserting that invitation language into the text. Right. He's not exegeting it out. It's perfectly being eisegeted in. Right. We continue. Jesus just knew he would never get to 2.0 with his current lifestyle. Jesus knew that. And he... <laughs> and he, he honored his admiration by inviting him into devotion. And here's the thing you have to hear. Jesus loves fans and he loves followers. He loves them all just the same. And here's the truth. Every follower of Jesus. That's not going to really help us out if uh, fans go to hell and followers are the ones who go to heaven. I love you. <laughs> just want to let you know I love you the same. Uh, but that's only the followers that are getting in. <laughs> Starts as a fan of Jesus. There's a process where we begin to get to know Jesus, his life, his teachings, his presence, his vision, and our admiration grows and grows and grows, but there comes a threshold. <laughs> uh, this is second blessing holiness. <laughs> Holy it is. Cow. 
It's this gray area between admiration and devotion. And listen to me. You're probably here this morning because you're an admirer of Jesus. And he loves you just as you are. It might be that they're there because you guys market like crazy, man. (laughs) (sighs) But to every admirer, there comes this threshold between admiration and devotion. And Jesus will always meet us right at that point. Every single one of what? What a swell guy, huh? <laughs> I'm so glad that he'll be there in the gap. <laughs> now, where is this in the Bible? Religious activity check. Is there any religious activity? I've uh, lost being... <laughs> I, there's so much religious activity. I've lost count. Now, okay, so again, uh, when you tweeted or twittered with all your yeah. whatever, they, they were surprised to hear you say this was a lost sermon. Now, um, again, we, we're saying that, no, 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 it, it's by, by grace through faith alone. Sometimes when I put it this way, people are, get a little wide-eyed, like, really? But, th- I mean, this is be obvious to you, Chris, because, but you talk about this every day on Fighting for the Faith. But none of your work, Christian, non-Christian, nothing that you do improves your standing before God. That's right. Sometimes I tell people that, like, what? what? I've been I've been living the forty day purpose life. Certainly, something I've done has has brought me higher rankings before God. Well, why is that, Evan? Well, I've been trying really hard. No, no. Why oh. is it that you can't improve it? <laughs> oh, because it's it's filled with sin. None of our actions are free from sin. Nothing that we do. Right now, notice when Jesus is hanging on the cross. Okay, he's he's dying. For our sins. He's being punished in our place. He is filling up, you know, and drinking the full cup of the wrath of God. And when he's done, he says, it's finished. Right. You can't add to a work that's already been done. And, and, it's, and it's right there on right. the cross. Yes. That we see uh, Jesus bloody, that we see what our works are good for. Yeah. And what our righteousness is earned. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, because Jesus is there in our place. Right. And is he proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins? No. No. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name? No. Uh, Try harder to get to this 2.0. Yeah. Come from the crowd and, and don't be a fan. Be a follower. Yeah. Of us in this room. He'll meet us at the point of admiration, and he's going to ask us to cross over into devotion. And I've been thinking a lot about this fan end of the continuum because I see it as pretty common and pretty widespread in most churches here in America. And I see the tendency in my own life to, to stay towards the fan end of the continuum. And here's what I believe. I can be a fan and say I believe in Jesus and mean it. I can be a fan and go to church regularly and really get a lot out of it. I can be a fan and even start serving and volunteering and really make a contribution. I can be a fan and give my money and give some stuff. And, and fans of Jesus... They do all sorts of good things, and those things should be celebrated. And I think God celebrates those steps. <laughs> so even if you're doing all this stuff, it's not yeah. enough. He still celebrates your your 1.0. <laughs> Man, what is, what's it going to take to please their God? <laughs> because every follower of Jesus starts as a fan of Jesus, but there always comes this threshold between admiration and devotion, and Jesus will meet you and I there. And here's what I've seen in myself. See, what it comes down to is the fan inside of me thinks that Jesus is great. But at the end of the day, I still want to retain control of my life. And if getting too close to Jesus means I have to risk something I don't want to risk, if it means getting too close to Jesus, it's going to get a little bit too dangerous, 
So basically, Jesus 2.0 looks like that Western song, Jesus Take the Wheel. <laughs> oh, man. <sighs> well, then I want to maintain this distance. And there's always this sticking point between admiration and devotion. And it's right at that point that Jesus always meets us. Just like he did with Nicodemus. Just like he did with the rich young ruler. And both of those texts, you completely biffed it on. <laughs> so you, uh, we're not going to let you have those. We're taking them back from you. You read them wrong. <laughs> and I bet right now if you took 60 seconds to be silent in the presence of God... Uh, why should we assume that God's... Well, never mind. <laughs> it was a rock concert. You know, the sex, drugs, rock and roll. It's all a religious experience. You know exactly what that sticking point is. My sin. It's the sticking point is my sin. Uh, uh, Rob, you still sin. Dude, you, you're not pulling off 2.0 either. No one is. None of us are. Oh, man. And I see it inside of me. There's this place in the secret place of my soul where I want to be able to say to Jesus, no. I want to be- Secret what place? What is that? There's a secret place in your soul. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, my heart, it, it, it's black, dark, and full of sin and spiders. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's because I'm sinful and rebellious against God by nature. Remember the whole Paul thing, Romans 7, things yeah. I don't want to do, I do. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of that. Yeah, this is an old one. You know this, that praise and worship song? It starts out, in the secret, in the quiet place. Oh, yeah. In the stillness, you are there. That is one of the most heretical songs I've ever heard. Yes. That in the secret place place that's where god is that's gnosticism <laughs> straight up gnosticism. Yes. no god god comes to us in surety he wants us to know where he is and where he is he's where the gospel is preaching this truth and purity right. he, he comes to us in the foolishness of preaching of the gospel we're called to proclaim good news this is not good news no this, this is, is terrible news <laughs> oh man i don't like their jesus be able to say to jesus hands off this is my life so fans of jesus They'll try to maintain a certain distance between them and Jesus because they don't want to let him get too close because it's going to get too dangerous. And when I live in fan mode, here's what I truly risk. I risk never getting to you 2.0. And when you live... (gasps) Not that. Not risking never getting to 2.0. Could you imagine... I mean, I can see what's going to happen. On the day of judgment, Christ and his angels are going to return. They're going to gather up the sheep and the goats. And Jesus is going to say to the sheep on his right, come into my kingdom, you blessed of my father. He's going to say to the goats, you never made it to you (laughs) 2.0. And that's punishment enough. (laughs) You just never made it. That's that's your punishment. You didn't get to 2.0. I mean, we have this big question mark here is what is 1.0? Is this the unbeliever or is this... Right. It's vague. And so either either it's the unbeliever, as we've been talking about in these texts, that, you know, uh, talking about the kingdom of God, or it's the believer, but... Here he t- he's telling believers that at 1.0, believer 1.0, right. he's going to stand before God and it's not right. going to be good enough? Is, is, a, is a non-Christian zero? <laughs> you know, and the beta the, version. The beta version. And then, <laughs> and then when, you, when you make a decision, you're 1.0. And then from there, you grow progress to 2.0. Where, and God will meet you in the gap between devotion and whatever. Very vague. Very yeah. Vague. This is not actual biblical exegesis at all. This is kind of let's make up your own theology, cobble it together in your basement, and then preach it the next day. <laughs> in fan mode, you risk never becoming you 2.0. That's what we're risking. 
No, how about the fires of hell? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, risking not getting to 2.0. Have you ever heard of hell? Yeah. Again, this this vague language. So, okay. So does that mean they're going to, if these are believers, they're going to spend all eternity, all of eternity not in perfection? Like, how does that work with eschatology? I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. But the problem is he's so vague that, you know, remember, 25% of the people there are not believers. Right. So. You know, actually, it's more than that because 47% of them believe in salvation <laughs> right. by grace. Uh, we continue. And let me tell you again about GCC. This is a place where fans and followers are celebrated. We want you to keep learning and growing. And we've tried to create so many environments that are safe environments where you can grow in your admiration of Jesus. Yeah, because, you know, because people matter to God. We got that. These weekend services, that core class with our senior pastor, Mark Beeson, on May the 16th, be a great place to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus here. And grow in your admiration of him. We've got journey classes on Wednesday night. We've, we've got starting point and viewpoint. Does any of that sound like religious activity to you? Uh, let me check. Yep. Okay, just checking. Turning point. We've got second Saturday. All sorts of venues where we can grow in our knowledge and our experience and our admiration of Jesus. But please hear me. For every single one of us in this room, there's going to become that threshold where the living Christ is going to look you in the eyes. And he's going to ask, are you a fan? Are you a follower? Because I'm... Ooh, wow. Uh, can I pencil that in for next Wednesday and just get it over with? <laughs> oh. The only one who can take you to U2.0, and it requires more than admiration. It requires devotion. It requires. That's all law talk, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Did he say that you are the only one? Is that what he said? Yeah, he did say that. Wow. Okay, so here yeah. we go. L- listen, to, listen carefully. We're going to just draw these to his conclusions. Uh, you're going to stand before God and he's going to you know, wonder why you weren't at 2.0. And by the way, all of this 2.0 is, is that, y- you hold the key to do it. Yeah. And you're required guys. This, this is not, not the message of Christianity. This is not, this is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, the, again, every, everything, the, the full perfection, 100%, the, the best you can get is delivered to you because of what Jesus has done. And it's a gift. You yes. don't have to do anything for it. In fact, even the faith to believe is given to you as a gift. <laughs> Read right. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Yeah. The one he, the don't two, miss those couple yeah, verses. Yeah, that, he skipped right over those. Well, we continue. And let me give you an image of what that looks like. And it's hidden inside this word funambulist. Have you heard that word before? Funambulist. Funny enough, I heard it on Saturday. <laughs> me too. <laughs> a funambulist is a person who likes to walk on a cable high in the air. A tightrope walker. Have you ever tried tightrope walking? No. Here, it come, here comes Photoshop again, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you? It's a lot harder than it looks. I actually gave this a shot one time. We have a picture of me. You are a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the Photoshop of him on a wire over Niagara Falls. <laughs> Tightrope walking. And then I went out with my buddy Ben, and we took it up a notch to the next level. <laughs> and see, there's been a lot of tightrope walkers, and I am not one of them. That's the closest I'm ever going to get. But there's, there's a tightrope walker who may be the best who ever lived in history. His name is Charles Blondin. He lived about 150 years ago, and he was world famous. And uh, he, he would walk on tight ropes in unbelievable settings at unbelievable heights, but he had this obsession. There was a great challenge he had in his mind that he wanted to work towards. One day, he wanted to walk over Niagara Falls on a tight rope, and, and 150 years ago, he did it. He draped uh, a 1,100-foot-long hemp rope 160 feet above Niagara Falls, 
A hundred thousand people were gathered. This actually happened. And they held their breath as Charles Blondin, step by step, inch by inch, walked 1,100 feet, 160 feet in the air. He made it all the way across, and 100,000 people held their breath because there was no safety net. I mean, it was life or death. And when he got to the other side, they went nuts. Now, Blondin was quite the showman. So he went over again. Except the next time, he took a chair with him. So he's walking and balancing this chair in his hand. When he got halfway out, he set the chair down, balanced it on the rope, and sat in the chair. Unbelievable. And then he got up and he walked all the way across. They went even crazier. He went out again with a portable stove and a pan, and he made an omelet while standing on the tie rope. And then he lowered it down by rope to someone in the boats below, the maid of the mist, so they could have breakfast. When he got over, the crowd went wild. And then he went another time. And he got a wheelbarrow. You can see the picture of it right there. And he went across 1,100 feet, 160 feet in the air, inch by inch, step by step. Everyone's holding their breath. And when he got to the other side, the crowd went wild. And then he turned to the crowd and he addressed them. And he said, how many of you think I can go back over with this wheelbarrow again? And 100,000 people went, woo, woo, blinded. And then he asked, which one of you would like to get in the wheelbarrow? And 100,000 people went, not me. I mean, they're amazed, but they're not going to trust London. I mean, they, they admire him, but they're not devoted. But there was one guy, Henry Colcord was his name. One guy out of a hundred thousand. Once again, my chances aren't very good. No. This, by the way, is how they can preach for 45 minutes because they have all these cheesy stories and yeah. illustrations that really don't do any good. Yet, you know, funny enough, the Seeker guys, they're suppo- supposedly short sermons are supposed to be the end thing. Oh. You yeah. know, but this is not. You might, might want to send him a tweet. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. We would like your sermons to be 140 <laughs> characters or less. <laughs> and no hyperlinks. That's cheating. We continue. Meyer, Charles Blondin, he had seen him walk on tightropes hundreds of times. And, and his heart started pounding. And his mind started racing. And he, he realized this is the opportunity of a lifetime. And you and I look at it and go, the guy's insane. <laughs> But Henry Calcold got in the wheelbarrow, and everyone held their breath as Blondin and Henry, step by step, inch by inch, 160 feet in the air, 1,100 feet. And when they got to the other side, they surely did, in one piece, the whole crowd went wild because the crowd was amazed, and they admired Blondin, but only one man trusted him. And they had the walk of a lifetime, a walk that neither one of them will ever forget. And Jesus. And apparently there's this point to the story. Here it comes. Jesus Christ wants to take you on the walk of a lifetime. <laughs> From version 1.0 to version 2.0 of you. But we got to step out of the crowd. Okay, yeah. So is that is that, is that religious activity? Uh, I think so. Is that you um, doing it or God doing it? And see, that's the thing. This whole okay, I've I've been writing down. I have this sheet here. Question and answer, or problem and answer. Uh, there's no meaning in life, no purpose. You know, what's more, no satisfaction. So in order to get satisfaction out of life, mm-hmm. you 
step out of the crowd? Yeah. What? That's the and solution. So ev- everything, everything he's that he's talking a fan about. To a follower. Yeah. And, and by the way, he's hinged all this on the satisfaction of the father, if you remember. Right. And, okay. So all of this, everything from 1.0 to 2.0, f- uh, fan to follower, all of this is hinging upon one thing. You. Exactly. If you can just do it. Right. Now, this is not salvation by faith alone, but by grace alone. Right. Th- 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 this is not Christianity. Now, let me let me, let me me tweak his story a little bit. There's a way to do the gospel with it. And he, he, here's how you would do it. Okay, this 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 guy who is a tightrope rope walker. Um, we'll just say it's Jesus for right now. And and here's the idea is, is that what happened is, is that while he was walking back and forth, okay, a nuclear bomb went off and killed everybody. Okay, and so when he wanted volunteers as to who would like to go from 1.0 to 2.0, nobody could raise their hand because they were all dead. And so what did he do? He grabbed people out of the crowd, threw them on the wheelbarrow, walked them across the tightrope, you know, version 1.0 to 2.0. And then when he got to the other side, he raised them from the dead. That, that would be a, uh, that would be the gospel. <laughs> That's the gospel. Okay. And so Jesus is calling people to repent and believe this good news. Yeah. <laughs> There's a difference right. between the gospel version of this and his works righteousness, me based, I have to do it, performance based version. Right. You know, let's continue. We got to move beyond admiration to devotion and trust ourselves. And and Jesus. Whoa. Oh, I don't trust okay, what, myself what was to that do first n- commandment again. Yeah, uh, uh, have no other gods before me. Yeah, that, what's that mean? Fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Oh, so we're not supposed to trust in ourselves? No. Huh. Okay. Yeah, trust in ourselves. Wow. He's never asked anyone admire me, but he did ask this: follow me. No, he said, believe in me. And listen to his words. He says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. In other words, get in the wheelbarrow. And friend- oh, no context there at all. Wow. Pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. You're laughing. Would, would this be uh, uh, Adventures in Missing the Point? Yeah, hang on. Adventures in Missing the Point. Oh, oh man. man. And see, that this. Yeah, speaking of crosses, I've, I've used this, this text sometimes in talking about vocation, actually. We were talking about this earlier. Yeah, take up your cross and Yeah, because me. Luther said, in, in our vocations, God gives us our crosses so that you know, meaningless job that no satisfaction. Yeah, that that would be the cross. That, that would was, be the cross that was placed on you. Yeah, right. And see, so, uh, and, and see, uh, the cross would be also if you're taking up a cross. Consider yourself to be a dead man. Yeah, yeah crosses. I don't know if you know this about them. They kill people. Um, no, there's not a lot of job satisfaction in carrying a cross. Right. Uh, right. Uh. If you are unsatisfied, if you're longing for more, if you've seen glimpses of you 2.0, you need to know there is one man. His name is Jesus. He's the only hope for you. He's the only hope for me. He's the only hope for this world. And he doesn't offer himself as a Dr. Phil feel-good spiritual life coach. He offers himself to us as Lord and Master to be worshipped and obeyed. And I know you're probably here because you admire him, but he's going to look you... Okay. <laughs> okay, so... He doesn't offer himself to be worshipped. We okay. Let, let let me be very clear about this. We do worship God, right? But he offers himself to us as his uh, as our savior, right? So 
in response to that, after he gives us faith, br- brings us back to life, we do as a response, we do worship him. No, no question right, about it. Right, but how can we not worship him because we've been <laughs> transformed from dead to alive? Right. A goat into a sheep. He's not calling, he's repentance and the forgiveness of sins mysteriously missing here. Big pep talk on. So what do you think? Is this a law sermon? Uh, I haven't heard the gospel yet. Well, there's your answer. Yeah, not even close. You in the eyes and ask you to move from fan to follower. And what that means is this. Get in the wheelbarrow. And let me tell you exactly what goes in the wheelbarrow. All your errors, all your flaws, all your mistakes. and there's They're called sins. There's grace and there's forgiveness and freedom from guilt and shame. Oh, wait, that, no, this is the did gospel. Did you say forgiveness? Yeah, he did. There's, this is the gospel nugget. The, every oh. every seeker-driven sermon has a gospel nugget. Okay, I, I liken it to this. They actually have Jesus duct-taped in the back, in the back room. Okay, <laughs> they've got him gagged and bound, you know, hands bound, arms bound, feet bound, and, and mouth with uh, duct tape over him. And they pull him out every now and then and say, see, we got Jesus. <laughs> and so, and then they, you know. It, it, Get it, back it, in there. And, they go, and then, you know, before people notice he has a duct tape on his mouth, they throw him back in the back room. <laughs> this is the guy called the, the gospel nugget. And okay. I can actually, based upon how many seconds the guy talks, it talks gospel-ish. I, I can tell you how fast it flew in and flew out. Oh, okay. Okay, this one, just from what I'm seeing, I'm calculating this at about Mach 10. <laughs> okay, we right. continue. All goes in here, but it's more than that. It's your past, your present, and your future. It's all your dreams. It's all your relationships. It's all your money. It's all your life. It's all your hopes. It's all your affections and all your allegiance. Yeah, see, actually, I, I miscalculated. That is definitely a Mach 15. All, it, it, we're bordering on potentially going into warp drive at this wow. point. And you need to know, this is a safe place for you to come and be an admirer of Jesus, but we don't want to shrink back. There is going to be a moment, and you're going to be at that threshold, and the living Savior, the God who made everything and all that is, who knows you by name. And I am getting sick of being brow- browbeaten by this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about ready to hit him back. You know, jeez. This is, I mean, this this is really preaching about nothing, though. I mean, re- really, he, he's talking about, you know, oh, there's going to be a time where you have to move from 1.0 to 2.0. It's so ambiguous. It doesn't even make any sense. I mean, use your spirit, man. <laughs> <laughs> Reach out with the force, Luke. I mean, okay, I, th- I think we've become this... Uh, this moment where really all we really want to do is be entertained and they do a five-star job at that they are amazing entertainers and and so okay so they need to get up there for half an hour and, and give a little photoshop a few jokes a few illustrations it doesn't really matter if the if the main message doesn't make any sense they'll tell you a few things to do we're still entertained yeah and we and see our goal is met because our goal is to get you to make another step Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the... Uh, their mission statement. Yeah, their mission statement. Where is that guy? Uh, oh, shoot. I, I, I'll uh, find Helping it. people take their next step towards Christ right. together. Right. So, you know, but... Law or gospel? Law. That's okay. not the gospel. Uh, the, the gospel message is repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Right. But that's... I digress. <laughs> I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here. I, yeah knows what you were made to look like is going to look you in the eyes and say, are you going to follow me? Will you move from admiration to devotion? And I just want to give you one little homework assignment this week. And I'm, Homework? I'm this is religious, religious activity. activity. Yeah, I, do, I think homework counts as religious <laughs> activity. <laughs> I want to give you this one simple question. You can write it down in your Granger notes. All right, writing it Would down. Would you live at this question this week? Okay. Am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? 
neither. <laughs> I'm a believer in Jesus. Hey, hey. I'm a sinner saint. I, li- I like that. Just, would you take those Granger notes and just put them in a place where it will remind you that just that simple question, am I a fan of Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus? And let's open our eyes and open our ears to, to ask Jesus what's next for us. Let's bow our heads and let me pray for us. All right, so there you have it. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna put a reminder around your house to, re- to remind you during the week, would you rather that reminder be law or gospel? I, I definitely need the gospel. I mean, I, I guess both. I mean, as long as the law is followed followed with repentance and and, and followed by the gospel, I guess. But I guess I would I would rather see a note that says. Well, I mean, that's what we do with crucifixes. I mean, the, the, the old historic tradition, you put a crucifix by the door as you walk out, and you're reminded that you are baptized into, the, into his name. Right. That's a good reminder. That yeah, you, well, it's a visual reminder of what Christ paid for for my sins. Right. You know, it, but are you a fan or a follower? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that'd be like putting a, a sign up somewhere that says, by the way. Are you an animal, vegetable, or mineral? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, you screwed up in God's eyes today. Well, that's true, but that's not the kind of reminder you want around your house. Exactly. You know, every <laughs> You're a big screw-up. Every single day I'm going to go home and go, man, I don't know. I guess I'm still a follower. I keep tr- I, I'm, a fa- I'm still a fan, and I haven't, I haven't hit the threshold to go to follower status. Right. So that, that's, that's the despair version. The Pharisee version of this message reminder would be, you're not as bad as the next guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I compare myself to you, Evan, then you know, then maybe I am a yeah. follower. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So that is our review of our experience and the teaching that we heard at Granger. You heard it. You gave. We heard our analysis. Did you hear the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of your sins? Did you hear the call of the gospel to repent and believe this good news that all of your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ? Did you even hear about sins for real? Or is were you basically just browbeaten and prodded into somehow you know asking yourself whether or not you're a fan or a follower or whatever on earth that's supposed to mean? Is this a clearly a Christian message that you heard, or was this something d- different? You know, I, I our critique here, I don't think it's too much to ask for people to preach the gospel, that salvation and the forgiveness of sins is won through Jesus Christ, to call people to repent and to believe in the gospel. Is that a lot to ask? Apparently. I mean, this it's is not a, user-friendly. This isn't a hard critique. It's not like we're, you know— discerning their use of the greek or their you know latin terms we're just asking them to preach the gospel can you at least do that right we're not talking about transubstantiation we're not talking about similar use to, well we did talk about similar uses but we're not asking them to to talk about that in their sermon we just want them to preach the gospel right if, if there's people listening in granger i would ask them to 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 the next sermon or whenever they can Preach the gospel. Right. And then we'll review that. Every single Sunday. Because this, I don't know if this was sanctification or justification, but it doesn't matter. I need to hear what Christ did for me. And believe me, when I hear about what Christ did for me on the cross, it is through that gospel message that the scriptures say that people are quickened and given faith. 
And as a result of it, they go from being dead to alive, from being a goat into a sheep, from being somebody who is not sure about Jesus to somebody who is certain of, the, of what it is that he's done for them. And it's through that transformation wrought by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that people's lives are transformed. And the Holy Spirit is given to them as an inheritance, guaranteeing their salvation. And they go, they, they begin the process of being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does transform people. We're not saying that he doesn't. But it's by the gospel. It's through the gospel. You know, it's Saint, not through this. St. Paul said, I can... I, Turned to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Right, to believers. Can, 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 we, can we take the same theme as Paul in our preaching? That's all, that's all we're asking. Take take yeah. take from the apostle Paul. Do what the do what the apostles did. Preach the gospel. You can't. I'm sorry, Rob, but you can't convince somebody to become a follower of Jesus. Doesn't matter what methods you use. It doesn't matter how much you prod them, how much you poke them. You are absolutely powerless, and what you're doing is powerless to actually transform anybody. The right. only person who can transform any one of us, sorry sinners, is Jesus Christ Himself, and He says He does it. Through the gospel. Right. Look out. You're going the wrong way. way. That's right. That's our message. You're going the wrong way. You're going to hurt somebody. Right. <sighs> there you go. All right. Well, I'd like to thank we're at the, t- at the end of our program. And thanks, for Evan, for sitting in today. Hey, this is a joy. Thank you very much. Yeah. We'll have to have you down again sometime. But a- after you're done with your purgatorial experience in Oklahoma, <laughs> <laughs> maybe sooner. <laughs> but I uh, want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. And it, in order for us to continue bringing you this broadcast and doing the, the work that we're doing, uh, we need you to partner with us financially and help us to continue to bring this message out. You can do so by going to fightingforthefaith.com and clicking on one of our donate buttons. Or if you'd like to do it the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to post, bo- post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana. And the zip code is 46038. Well, if you want to email me, you can, and I would love to hear from you. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my fan on Facebook. Or, <laughs> or a, a follower. follower. <laughs> yeah. Or you can follow me on Twitter. For those ah. of you who want to be a follower of Chris, you can do that on Twitter. 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, God bless you.